This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you. You made it through another week. Congratulations. This is the Matt Townsend Show, the place where we uh, give you the latest, the greatest, uh, some research, some information, some fun ideas about how to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Top of the morning to you. And uh, we've got a great show for you today. Uh, we're going to have to do a little update on um, Russia, believe it or not. Apparently, more people from the tramp, the, the tramp, from Trump? the Trump administration <laughs> and campaign had, had been talking to Russia. Well, I think there's a lot of misremembering going on. Oh, yeah. It's hard to remember. There was a quote from a Major League Baseball player. He's testifying before Congress about steroid use where he said he misremembered. I think that applies. Who was that? It was either Canseco or Clemens or one of those guys that took drugs and then misremembered. Yeah. Well, sometimes when you take drugs, you do misremember. That was a bigly exaggerated statement, though. (laughs) Thank you. So um, the USA Today this morning has a feature where they go through 20 times – during the presidential process for the le- the election, after the election, before you know, before yeah. inauguration, after there's 20 times where the Trump campaign or administration denied any contact with Russia, right? And they just keep coming up now. There's more times where they, facts. they sat down with people from Russia. Uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, as a senator, did it, and then also Jared Kushner is coming out saying he did it. The White House admitted that one yesterday. It's like let's get ahead of this one. Now. Yeah. Let's let's stay ahead. Plus, I guess a couple others. So now I think there's like five people. Trump that Jr. Have... flew to Russia, I think, after the election, gave a $50,000 speech hmm. in Russia. So, I mean, that, that'll probably be looked at in a different way now that uh, more is coming out. But it's just Russia. Well, and the other thing is this one guy. It's the ambassador, yeah. right? And there's all these stories. Like, he's not like a spy master. Right. But apparently he has one of the most forgettable faces you can imagine. <laughs> Spymaster, that was uh, Suzanne Summers. Um, yeah. You know, everything, yeah. Didn't you, you, I loved using the Spymaster. Ah, the Spymaster. Yeah. It's oh, cool. you mean a fitness Spymaster. It was, was that Suzanne, Suzanne Summers? Summers from Step by uh, Step. Yeah. No. The Step by Step. Day by day. The only reason I know about that show is because, well, I watched it, and also my cousin was on it. Oh, really? He played JT, the oldest son. Did he really? Well, my mom's cousin. Yeah. Not, no real relation to you. Um, also, interesting little point about that whole thing is Russia, sure, you know, sure all these people were talking to the Russian ambassador, that, and they don't remember it. Mm. But simultaneously, Hillary Clinton's accounts were all being <laughs> pillaged through by Russians, many saying the thing that cost her the election. Possibly. Hmm. One of the thousands of knives, as you could look at it that way. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of a, this is kind of a big deal. So we'll talk more about that. Also, incredible um, topic coming up. Really one of the uh, – a great interview. We did it last night or yesterday. It's called uh, – it's with Dr. Samuel Bowles, The Moral Economy. And we're going to talk about why sometimes we try to incentivize people to do good things, 
You know, we give them tax breaks. We give yep. them all of these incentives in, in government. And and that may not be the best way to get people to actually do the right thing. Perhaps the best way to get people to do the right thing is just to let people do what they do naturally, which is good things. Hmm. Pretty cool research, um, by the way, from a, a a PhD in economics from Harvard. And he says that might be part of the problem. Hmm. His association with Harvard? Uh, economics. Ah. Because – Right. In the field of economics, you think everyone are just out for money or, you know, some incentive. You start with that premise. Yeah, once you have that premise, then everything right. we do, we try to incentivize with money. Money. What about candy? Yeah. I do a or lot for candy, candy for kids. Okay. Hey, I've got some right here that's been sitting here for a week if you want some. Oh, is there any left? I oh, there's you were, tons. I saw your rifle. Hey, by the way, um, I knew you would neglect to mention this. No, I haven't. I'm still gone. He's still warming up. Here. I'm still warming up. Okay. This is still the open. I'm just saying it's uh, okay, a very I'll, special day. I'll get, to it, I'll get to it right now. It's Canadian Bacon Day. Which is ham. That's, that's, what, he's, that's what he wants me to get to. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, ham. isn't, isn't there anything else going on today that you feel like you should recognize no. and highlight and maybe honor? Mm. Nope. No. I, I have a list here. I don't see any more that really would matter, I guess. Hmm. Uh, there's this one, uh, Employee Appreciation Day. Hmm. That's the one. Whatever. That's. Let's just get back to the bacon. How would that apply? We've already talked about the power of Canadian bacon and pineapple on your pizza pie. Right. I love ham and pineapple. Mm, it's a great combo. Yeah. Don't, don't keep calling it ham. Why? It's Canadian bacon. It's ham. Even in the description of it, it's like ham and they wrapped it in something to keep the ham preserved. It's ham. <laughs> Man, Jeff's sad today. He cries a lot lately. Have you noticed well, that? Yeah. And I'm getting a cold. Is there some beta blockers or something that yeah. could balance that out? Or? Probably. Okay. Probably. Maybe uh, maybe like a nice compliment. Or how about some Canadian bacon? If you brought me some Canadian bacon, all would be forgiven. Okay, I'll go look for some. Uh, I'll get you some. Okay, we got all that ahead. Moral economy. Hmm. A little more on Jeff Sessions. Some fun stories, empty news, and, of course, the headlines. Terry, let's go there. What's uh, going on around the rest of the country? So as we were talking about, Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced on Thursday afternoon that he would recuse himself from any matter related to the Trump presidential campaign, but he did not speak to whether there will actually be an investigation on the campaign's ties to the Kremlin. The move comes amid a firestorm over the Washington Post report that he had spoken with Russian, the Russian ambassador to the U.S. twice last year while also serving as a senior surrogate on the pre- Donald, uh, President Donald Trump's campaign. During his confirmation hearing on February 8th, Sessions said that he did not have communications with the Russians. And the question was about the campaign, so he kind of went, well, I talked to him about my yeah. job in the Senate, so that's different. He did you hear, the, did you hear his description of the conversations? Um, it's talk about Beauregard. Well, yeah, it's it was pretty it was pretty interesting. I think we have a clip where he talked on last night on TV about it. The Washington, uh, the White House said Thursday that Michael Flynn and Jared Kushner had a previously undisclosed meeting with the Russian ambassador, same guy that is causing all these other problems. The United States at Trump, uh, let's see, at Trump Tower in December. The meeting was reportedly set up to establish a line of communication between the new administration and the Kremlin. There is a phone, isn't there? Isn't there a red yeah, phone? Yeah, there, there's a red phone. I don't know if the red phone is actually still in existence, but you can make a phone. 
phone call. Flynn, and the former national security advisor, was in contact with the Russian envoy during the campaign and the transition, a controversy that eventually that led to the ouster of Michael Flynn. Remember that? That, uh-huh. happened. that was fun. Oh, yeah, that went The fast. role of President Trump's son-in-law Kushner in the meeting is unclear. In other news, yesterday I told you about how Republican leadership, they're keeping a copy of their Obamacare replacement plan in a, quote, dedicated reading room in the Capitol. Right, it's yeah. in the basement somewhere. Hidden away. On Thursday, Senator Rand Paul led what has been called a treasure hunt type search for the document. He calls it Obamacare Light. Okay. That's what he thinks it is, is Obamacare Light. But he hasn't seen the actual document. He was not. Uh, the only members and staffers of the House Energy and Commerce Committee are able to a- access the bill. Uh, Paul said, uh, re- uh, and reporters, of course, you, you bring yeah. reporters and tell. They zeroed in on the room in the basement of the Capitol, room H-157. Mm. But the bill was not there. Where not did sh- the bill I'm, go? I'm not sure what evidence led oh, them to that room. but You know what? The, the bill, the bill, the bill on Capitol Hill that's walking around. Yeah, yeah. I bet it's just on it's, it's, just it's on the move. Videos of the searcher on Twitter and Facebook. Paul and an aide had an aide drag a copy machine around as they searched so he could make copies. If he found the bill, also there are other members of Congress with him. And it's all this ploy because uh, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell have a bill. Their plan is to take a bill yeah. that no one has seen. Put it on the on the floor for a vote. Hold on, is this Obamacare? Sort of, because it's kind it, of the same way the same they did thing? it. And put it on the floor and make Republicans vote against it, so that they have to face their yeah. constituents saying, "I voted against what we were going to replace Obamacare with." Right, so it's all just a mess. Yeah. Um, and finally, the internet came crashing down Tuesday due to a single typo made by an Amazon employee in Virginia, according to the Wall Street Journal. Uh, a CNN report says the employee was trying to fix a problem with the S3 billing system. S3 is a part of Amazon Web Services, which yeah. has hundreds of thousands of websites and apps. It reportedly has more than a million users and accounts for 40% of the cloud services market. Really? Which is pretty big. Yeah. That's uh, a lot of websites. Anyway, the employee was trying to take a few servers offline to work on the billing issue, but made a typo in the command and accidentally took a whole bunch of servers offline instead. The loss of S3 servers kept news sites from publishing stories, uh, communication like Slack, which is a, a messaging service. Those users couldn't uh, – fu- the, the app wasn't functioning. More than half of the top 100 online retailers saw their websites slow by 20% or more. The S3 service outage reportedly cost companies more than $150 million wow. in the four hours that it was down. Uh, Amazon says it's making several changes to avoid this repeat in the future. Unbelievable. Just one typo and the whole thing goes bananas. That's crazy. Uh, so nobody can find the bill. No, the bill is. They feel it's. They think it's on Capitol yeah. Hill, but where? Well, you know what? We actually may have some. I know where he is. You know, know where, where he, the bill is. Where? Where is the bill? I'm oh. just a bill. Oh boy. Yes, I'm only a bill, hmm. and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Oh, there you go. Well, right there. It's a long, long journey mm-hmm. to the Capitol City. Oh, he's it's he's long, he's not there to the Capitol oh, yet. Committee, okay. So oh, he's I'll in committee. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He may come up for a vote later this month. Yeah. That's the plan. Well, we appreciate uh, our contributor from Schoolhouse Rock for helping us with this. He's got some career aspirations oh, yeah. there. The bill's just still making its way to Capitol Hill. So we'll get back to that. Uh, we'll keep our eye on it. But the videos are funny watching him walk around and really, it's just, they made it into like political theater where they're like, where's the bill? What are we doing? <laughs> it's. It's on its way to Capitol was it, Hill. Was it an old woman sitting in front of a plate saying, where's the bill? Ah, oh, that was good commercial. 
the Wendy's. Where's the beef? Hey, um, Jeff Sessions. Hmm. Uh, Jeff Beauregard. Beauregard Sessions. Sessions. Um, finally coming clean that he had met with the Russian ambassadors. This is this is this is a little uh, a little information about what he actually talked to them about. I don't recall any discussion of the campaign in any significant way. It was no in no way some sort of coordinating of an effort or doing anything improper. And I don't believe anybody that was in that meeting would have seen or believed I said one thing that was improper or right. unwise. He he did say that uh, you know he talked about the days that he went there with a Christian group, hmm. um, and you know the Russian ambassador thought, okay, you know I don't have those beliefs, but that's great. We appreciate your those believers coming to Russia. Um, he also talked about, I guess, some question came up about the Ukraine. There was a Ukrainian uh, ambassador who who Sessions met with before yeah. the Russian ambassador, which may have prompted the Russian visit. Interesting. They have some issues there. Well, and so you know, Jeff Sessions is saying I didn't, I didn't talk about anything. Well, except you did talk about the Ukraine, and the Russians would love to know what a possible president would do with the Ukraine. Right. But he so, sits on the Armed Services Committee, so yeah. maybe he had some information that had nothing to do with the well, campaign. Well, he also sat on the campaign. The before. other thing is he there's certain parts of this where he says, I can't really remember if there was a phone call or if we talked to, and then, <laughs> but he's very definitive. We didn't talk about the campaign. Yeah. So it's like parts he doesn't remember, parts he does remember, just well, it's shifty. When you think about it, it's hard to remember everything. By the way, his full name is Jefferson Beauregard Sessions the Third. The Third. Yeah. Sounds That's like great. he's trying to describe a dream that he had the night before. Yeah, fever. I think there was a clown in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> a clown. I was running around the airport without clothes. I, I, I learned what that means, and someday we'll talk about it on the show. Whoa. Anytime you have a dream where you're naked, mm. uh, usually means you're vulnerable. I thought it means you don't have enough clothes yeah. in your closet. Maybe just go buy some more? Um, no. No. I'm the doctor. Oh. Excuse me. Um, just keep that clear. Uh, Jeff Sessions did recuse himself. So now everyone's like, okay, well, so why are you choosing to recuse yourself if this was really no big deal? Recusal is not an admission of any wrongdoing. Mm. It's simply that uh, whether or not you can be perceived as fairly deciding a case or evaluating a case. And so I committed to do that after I became attorney general, and I've only been there three weeks uh, we met with professional staff, ethics uh, people, to discuss this issue, and uh, we had a full meeting um, some uh, a week or so ago, and planned to have a meeting today. It was on our schedule to make a final decision about whether or not oh, okay. uh, I should recuse myself. And the reason I believed I should recuse myself is because I was involved in the campaign. To a degree, I think it would have been perceived is that I wouldn't be objective in participating in an investigation. That was on there you T- go. Tucker Carlson from Fox News. That's great. I mean, that's great. So they were planning this for a week. Yeah, they were and, thinking about it already. And they'd already had the meeting, and now they're just Just getting... happened to be right after the Washington Post put out the report saying that you talked to the Russians. Excellent. So what I wonder is who didn't talk to the Russians? It maybe, seems maybe like that, that would be the easier question to answer rather than if you – you know what I mean? Like maybe there's someone that didn't and you could eliminate that I'm going to bet Kellyanne Conway didn't. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I mean she'll put her feet on the couch. She'll 
Maybe she'll talk to the Russians. Like a know. Russian. <laughs> you know how those <laughs> Russians are. Once they see a couch, I don't know. they got to get their feet up on it. Okay, well, that's, uh, I, that's I think exciting. The bigger issue is the way that the, the this stuff keeps trickling out and the administration keeps saying, okay, there's that one, but no more. There's yeah. this one, but yeah. no more. Well, President Trump came out saying it's a witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. He said it's more... More of the story is the leaks, again, yeah. not the actual content of the leaks. And then um, – Even though he keeps having people recuse themselves or step down from office or right. whichever, you know. Interestingly, right after he said that, I think the Russians then came out saying it, it's a witch hunt. Right, because there's there's nothing here. I wonder where they're getting their talking points. That's interesting. Mr. Beauregard. They, well, then again, is it coordinated? Are they talking now? <laughs> It's obviously – none of it is actually coordinated. It's just happening. Really? I mean coordinated would say – wouldn't coordination mean that it's being done more effectively? There is a red phone. Yeah. OK. Allegedly. Ah, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, let me, let me just – let's counter this whole you know, craziness about do we now trust the administration because of this issue <coughs> with a, a wonderful author um, on – morality and really a moral economy, how to motivate people with what they value intrinsically instead of always going for the extrinsic motivator. Dr. Samuel Bowles will be joining us next. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, in his new book, The Moral Economy, Why Good Incentives Are No Substitute for Good Citizens, Dr. Samuel Bowles studies how sometimes incentives can backfire, and there may be more powerful motivators than maybe paying people off. We're honored to have you with us today, Dr. Bowles. Thank you for your time. Very happy to be here, Matt. Now, in the book, um, in The Moral Economy, you you talk about these... um, this incentivization that we do to try to get people to act, to do what we need them to do. And it sounds like really what what we may be creating are some monsters that will only act when they're paid. Well, you know, we now use incentives to try to get people to do everything from study as students to lose weight, uh, to, all, to do all kinds of things that people really would want to do anyway without the incentives. And uh, sometimes uh, these incentives, not only they don't work, but they backfire. They actually produce the opposite result. They, they, uh, they produce a counter-result? What, what do they end up doing? Do, d- does it erode well, something? Example. Yeah. In, in Boston in 2001, just before Christmas, the fire commissioner noticed that there were a lot of sick days being called in by the firemen on Mondays and Friday. And thinking this a little odd, uh, he decided he'd cancel the policy that they'd had until now of uh, uh, free sick days, and he would limit the sick days to 15. Anybody calling in with more sick days than that would have their pay docked. Uh, the firemen, of course, felt that this was a sign that the commissioner distrusted them, and uh, they responded by calling in sick ten times as often on Christmas and New Year's mm. as uh, they had in previous years. And in the next year, they went on to call in sick over twice as much as they had before. Their response to this incentive, don't call in sick or I'll dock your pay, was essentially to say, 
Uh, well, I won't say it over the air, but they just felt that they were being distrusted by the fire commissioner, and they called in sick twice as often. Mm. Boy, and you can see that, I mean, happening, because they used to do it just because it was goodwill, I, I'm assuming. A firefighter wouldn't want to always, I mean, it's you know, it's the job of a firefighter sometimes to work at Christmas, and I guess now they're just like, you don't trust me, then you're going to pay for it. Well, you know, I lived in Boston for a long time, and uh, people who serve in uh, the police and the fire, they, they come to work when they're sick. They, they are proud to be serving the public, uh, and, they, uh, and when they're treated as if they're just money-grubbing people, uh, well, you know, sometimes it turns them into the kind of person that the fire commissioner thought they might be. Oh, and that's why you name, I'm assuming, the book The Moral Economy. We, we need another yeah, way because, to do this. Uh, I mean, the, the fact that many economists and many businessmen and public uh, uh, servants haven't really understood deeply is that most people out there have a moral side of them. Uh, of course, we also have a self-interested side. But this moral side of us is a thing that... It it constantly is uh, urging us to do the right thing. When we act as economic actors or buying and selling or whatever we do, we're not only trying to get something, we're also trying to be somebody. We're trying to be the person we want to be in our own eyes, in the eyes of our family, in the eyes of our neighbors. And that trying to be somebody is the kind of motive that sometimes gets trashed. If you offer me money to do this, well, gosh, you know, maybe I'm just doing it for the money. So... Uh, uh, it isn't really worth it uh, to uh, comply with your demands and so on. Oh, boy, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I see it. I see it more and more just even in parenting. So these these principles, it sound like sounds like goes deeper than, you know, government agencies trying to incentivize people or even corporate. This can go just back to human development, human growth. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I, you know, humans uh, are a pretty sex- successful animal compared to any other yeah. kind of species, and we got this way because we learned over a very long course of human evolution, we learned how to cooperate in common projects, to work together on things. We do things together in the millions, uh, and other animals other than a few social insects uh, haven't really learned how to cooperate as part of a big hive. Mm. Uh, that's something which really makes us distinct. And it's a beautiful thing about humans. Uh, And I'm sorry to say that my own profession, economics, seems to be so fascinated by self-interest and the money-grubbing aspect of people that it overlooks the fact that we do have a moral side. And I'm assuming if I always treat you as if you only have an economic, you know, gain side, then I almost – I I dehumanize you. I take away a part of you that really is a major part of who you are. That's right. You deprive me of the opportunity to act as a person, the person who I want to be. I want to affirm that. And I think, by the way, we do that at least as much to affirm to ourselves uh, that we're good people. Because to tell you the truth, we're not entirely sure of just how good we are. We all have selfish sides. We all have sides that we're not really very proud of. Uh, And so we engage in activities throughout the course of our life, which is partly just uh, advertising ourselves to ourselves. Mm. Uh, look, oh, I'm a really nice guy. I helped this person, or I, I, I uh, was willing to forego the pleasure that I might have had, uh, which would have hurt somebody else, and so on. 
That's incredible. And yeah. um, now, how did you get hooked into this? I mean, I know you you were at Harvard. You did your Ph.D. in economics at Harvard University. W- where did you start noticing the moral uh, economy or the kind of the moral need? Well, you know, I I have, have engaged in uh, in politics one way or the other ever since I was a student. I was a speechwriter for a, a, a senator. Uh, when I, I had an in, internship doing that, and I engaged in a lot of political activity, like the civil rights movement and so on, from that time until now. Mm. And I, I just look around me, and I say, look, a lot of people who are doing this are taking a tremendous amount of time. They're taking time away from their kids and their family. They're taking time away from things they might like to do. And there's just, I mean, it's pretty hard not to participate in those things and look around you and say, gosh, you know, there are a lot of wonderful people in the world. And then I had the very uh, um, uh, good luck to see it the other way. Many people on the other side, they also were acting on moral grounds. We just disagreed about the situation. So uh, I, my political engagements have led me to a, a, a sense that a lot of people, we engage in politics, of course, sometimes for self-interest. We're trying to get our taxes lowered or we're trying to get a variance on a zoning uh, provision that will allow us to build something and so on. But a lot of the time, we're just out there because we want to see America be what America ought to be, or we want to see our community stand tall. And uh, that's the kind of things that we do routinely. Um, and sometimes it isn't even noticed. It just that's a normal way for a neighbor to be. Yeah. I mean, it's almost it, it's almost like we we don't see the the whole system in play in in some of our decision making and as government leaders i remember when um president obama passed some bill of uh and he gave incentives for people to use um electric cars or alternative fuel cars or electric cars in this case and all of my neighbors went out and then ended up buying golf carts so that they can drive them around the neighborhood because of the incentive, which wasn't, I don't think, the purpose. So they all yeah. bought an additional vehicle that was just a toy. And and it didn't dawn on me that, um, I mean, he, President Obama was just trying to incentivize something good when we really should, in a way, be naturally wanting a better environment. Yeah, um, that's, uh, you know, um, I go back uh, to uh, uh, a long way, and, uh, you know, I remember one of the most stirring uh, speeches I heard was when uh, um, Jack Kennedy said, ask not uh, what your country yeah. can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And that resonated with people, even the people who didn't agree with President mm-hmm. Kennedy. Uh, yes, that's the kind of person I want to be. Not that I am all the time, but that's the person I want to be. But let me tell you about something that really surprised people and I think has had a big hand in changing how economists have uh, thought about the problem. Um, in Haifa, in Israel, there was a group of daycare centers uh, and they were they had a problem which daycare centers typically have parents come late to pick up their mm. kids at the end of the day and so they posted a sign on the door on, on half of these daycare centers because they were going to do a kind of experiment on half of them there were seven of them they a the, uh, sign on the door said uh as of next week if you come late uh, you'll have to pay 10 new israeli shekels that's the currency uh if if you come more than 10 minutes late and then they recorded how many people came late at the schools that had the fine and the schools that didn't have the fine. Now, I think you and, and your listeners can guess where this is going. Yeah. What happened? 
the places in which the fine was imposed, the number of late people doubled. That's right. Let me say it no again. Way. Where there was a fine, the number of people coming late doubled. In the other places, the control schools, nothing happened. Uh, after 17 weeks, they they quit the experiment. It was being. It was. Uh, <laughs> it's not it was, working. Uh, it had backfired. Yeah. And you know, you think about that. What what went wrong there? Well, you know, the parents were trying to come on time, uh, and maybe there was, I don't know, traffic or something. And once you post it, says, you know, 10 Israeli shekels and you can come on time, what's that like? It's, oh, there's a price on coming late. Step right up and buy it if it's worth it to you. If you have 10 Israeli shekels, of course. And uh, so it transformed the question of coming late from a moral question they knew they were inconveniencing the teachers. Yeah. They knew probably they were even causing anxiety in their own kids. They knew all of that. But now the problem of being late was just a question of dollars and cents. Oh, boy. Which is, it's so debased now. It's so yeah. not, I mean, it's, it, it's about you're not with your kid another minute. Yeah. It's so well, interesting. Yeah. One thing that really, I mean, after these these results started to come out and people started to think about them, we started to do experiments uh, which allow us to see inside the human brain, the so-called fMRI experiments, yeah. in which we actually take a look inside the brain to see which areas of the brain are working when we have certain problems. And the extraordinary thing is that um, if you have a problem that's facing people about, for example, how to do some task or how to divide up a pie or something like that, you know, we can see which parts of the brain are working on that. Now, as soon as you get money in the picture, as soon as you get, you're going to make some money if you do this or that, it relocates to the different part of the brain. Uh, it goes to what's called the prefrontal cortex, where we process dollars and cents. Oh, interesting. And yeah. So... The incentive actually is changing even the part of the brain which is doing the work. And yeah, and it, it may move it, I guess, away from more of a moral center of the brain to another part of the brain. It's, that's absolutely right. It's just, it's, uh, there is, I mean, it's hard to label the brain regions. I mean, right. it's very premature. We don't know enough quite yet, but I think we could call the prefrontal cortex the part behind the forehead. It's basically, that's at least where dollars and cents kind of things are processed. And as soon as you get the incentive, there's the what's in it for me voice mm. in, uh, that's saying to you, you know, check out what's in it for you. Boy, this is this is important. I think too to to life and to raising moral families and a, and and a, and a moral culture and a moral economy. Well, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Samuel Bowles, author of the book The Moral Economy: Why Good Incentives Are No Substitute for Good Citizens. We'll take a break. Come back. Continue this journey to help you be the good in the world. Stick with us. We'll be back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are discussing good incentives and and how they may be impacting, no matter what your goodwill or your intent is, it may be impacting a, a person's moral code, their their sense of uh, of of being good. And um, joining us is Dr. Samuel Bowles. He is the author of the book, The Moral Economy, Why Good Incentives Are No Substitute for Good Citizens. He also is a research professor at the Santa Fe Institute in New Mexico, heads the behavioral sciences program there. And uh, we're honored to have you here. Thank you again, Dr. Bowles, for your time. Great to be here, Matt. What? um, I mean, it's hard because we... 
We and I just had a discussion of this yesterday. We think that extrinsic motivators, you know, money, food, all these things. I, I've heard people at ball games say, "Son, if you hit a double, I'll take you to McDonald's." And um, I, I mean, it, it is a way to motivate. The carrot does draw people in. It just, I guess, it, it, what what doesn't it allow people to do? Well, I mean, come on, hitting a double, if you're not motivated by hitting a double, I mean, I don't think you're a baseball player. (laughs) I mean, uh, there's there's something unwired up there. And uh, I mean, I think the, um, uh, we have to think about, um, you know, I I said before that when incentives are offered, sometimes people act less morally. Uh, They often do the wrong thing when they have incentives. The incentives backfire. So we have to think about what, what really being crowded out. Uh, how does it work? And, you know, there's some, there's some good news here, because sometimes if incentives are used, uh, it has the opposite effect. It, it actually makes people pay attention. Uh, mm. So, for example, um, some years ago, Ireland uh, imposed a very small tax on plastic grocery bags. Uh, and this was preceded by a massive campaign uh, about uh, the uh, uh, how ugly the plastic bags were, don't trash the Emerald Isle, and so on. And when the thing came in, um, uh, the uh, people responded um, by virtually eliminating the use of the plastic bags. They, they, I mean, in two weeks, it was gone. It was as if the Irish people all of a sudden had the idea that carrying a plastic bag home was somehow like wearing a fur coat or something. Mm-hmm. It was something you'd put in the closet of bad habits and just not do it. Um, now, of course, the question is, why is it that when the parents were fined for, for picking up their kids late in the Haifa daycare centers, they came even later, and more of them came late, but when the people in Ireland were fined, were, were essentially had to pay uh, um, uh, um, if they used a plastic bag, they just stopped using them because the incentive there was the same. You just have to pay a little. Um, now, I mean, I think that the, the big difference there was that in Ireland, the moral purpose of the uh, tax on plastic bags was very clear. This is something that's making the neighborhood ugly, uh, and uh, it, uh, it's, it's doing harm to our community and so on. In the case of the uh, Haifa daycare centers, they didn't say why they were posting this fund is fine. They just said, we're going to do this. I mean, mm-hmm. imagine what would have happened if instead... They'd had a meeting of the parents and said, you know, we've got a problem here. What do you think we ought to do? And they had a discussion, and they said they had some teachers talk about how they had to stay late, stay away from their own kids, and so on. Uh, And then had it been implemented under those conditions, I'd be willing to wager that you would have had a different response. No, I I sense you're right. And I guess we see that, too, in government a lot where – they just can make an edict or they just can make a, a new law or they can raise a fine um, level. We were talking about people getting pulled over for driving, uh, you know, s- speeding, for example, mm-hmm. and and how, how much speeding tickets are really more about generating revenue than they are, you know, making things safer. But if you made the argument about safety for all, people might be more inclined to to do something just simply because they're a member of community. Yeah, I think um, I think that there are a couple of things that uh, uh, in business or in politics we have to think about incentives. And um, uh, I've done, and uh, my colleagues have done lots of hundreds of experiments, and they all have the same kind of character. You're going to divide up a pot of money, 
and uh, the, the, there are two, usually two people, and one person uh, is uh, going to divide up the pot, and the other person is going to decide, well, do they accept the division or not? Hmm. That's very interesting what happens here. Suppose I'm given the, uh, I run an experiment, and I, I give the first person, let's just call it the first person, I give the first person, say, $100. They say, okay, you can divide up $100 between you and the second person any way you want. You can give them any amount, including zero or including the whole pot. Mm. And, uh, but here's the hitch. The second person, when they look at what you're going to offer them, uh, they get to say yes or no. If they say yes, well, then you go home with what's left over after the, what the other person got. But if they say no, you both go home empty, pockets empty. Mm. So essentially look at that game and then think about it. Okay, how would I play that game? Well, if, if I were entirely selfish, this is the way an economist would think, if I were entirely selfish, what I would do is I'd say, hmm, I guess the other guy's selfish too, so I'm going to offer him or her a penny. And, of course, the person will take a penny. A penny's better than nothing. And so I'll go home with, a, you know, uh, hey. ninety-nine, ninety-nine, <laughs> and the other person will go home with a penny. That never, never happens. We've played this game everywhere in the world. We've played it literally with hunter-gatherers in the forest in Latin America. Oh, wow. We've played it with herders in Africa and so on. Uh, and we've played it with students all around the world, warehouse workers, truck drivers, whatever. It never happens. They usually split it about 50-50. Uh, people and now not exactly. People push the envelope a little bit. They uh, yeah. you know, they may give the other person forty percent. Maybe I can get away with it, but it's not so interesting noticing what people give. It's interesting what people do when they get an offer. And here's the thing which really, really got people's attention. If you offer somebody in that game less than uh, 20%, less than a quarter, you very likely have to have the person say, go home empty, I'm mm. not accepting this. And what does that mean? That means that this person is willing to lose $25 for the pleasure of making you go home without a penny in your pocket because you're such a jerk that you wanted to take three quarters yeah. of the pie. And they're uh, reacting to that, the immediate, yeah. It, we, isn't that, that interesting? Wow. That, I mean, so that is a real sense that people have of fairness. Now, um, so I think we've got to accept the fact that people, uh, and by the way, Americans are just as fair as other people uh, in these games. We're not very distinctive around the world. Uh, there's some societies a little more so and some less, but what is really amazing is how similar people are around the mm. world. We have a sense of justice, and we're willing to pay to punish those who treat us unjustly. Now, so now think about incentives. If, if, if I'm an employee and I see my employer imposing an incentive on me, which, if I go along with, is going to make a lot of money for my employer, uh, how am I going to respond? Well, if possible, I'm going to respond in such a way yeah. that it's kind of mess, going to mess things up for that person sabotage in some it. way. Yeah. I'm going to sabotage it somehow, and, you know, there are any number of ways. Uh, the problem with incentives is not that it involves money. It's not that it's an incentive. Incentives can be very well used to motivate people. But when they're used for unfair purposes, to impose something which looks like exploitation, or to control people uh, in their, and, to, and to essentially limit the freedom of action that they have, people very often have a negative response. And believe me, people, even, even people in 
you know, employee relationships with employers and so on, everybody has some power to make things difficult for the powerful if they start to act unfairly. Oh, even just, yeah, even just sandbagging it, even just not, exactly. you know, phoning it in, not doing your job. I mean, exactly. And that, that's the contract. That'll do it. Well, you see today that all the data, I think it's um, Gallup has a report with 70% of people feeling disengaged at work. And some yeah. of this disengagement may simply be because you're using fake incentives on me to make me jump like a monkey. <laughs> and, exactly. And, and I'm, I'm going to make you pay. me a voice. Yeah. Powerful. So how do we – I mean, because like you bring up the fact that it's it's an economic issue, and even at the greatest universities, we're we're almost breeding some of the economic thinkers to always think with the cynical thought that people are always out to mess you over. Um, how do we how do we how do we inject the morality into the economy? Well, you know, I don't think we have to inject it. I think it's there. I it's think in the in human everyday dealings. People, uh, by and large, they pay their taxes honestly. Uh, they uh, they they don't steal. They don't cheat. Uh, people vote, uh, even though they know their vote won't uh, d- determine the election. There's a lot of moral action going on in America today. Uh, I know I, people say America is a self-interested country, and we look at our president and we look at the people he's appointed, and we say, well, how can you possibly talk about the moral economy when we have people who who appear to be so motivated? entirely by self-interest mm. uh, but um, uh, there uh, there's a lot of morality in people's actions including there's a lot of morality and moral questioning in the people who supported the president and when he got elected I think it's extremely uh, misguided and incorrect to say that the people who supported uh, the president electorally did so because of their economic self-interest mm. some of them did I think a lot of rich people did but a lot of other people just well, they were were concerned about what America was, where America was going. Now, those are not my particular concerns, but I think that we're seeing that there are a lot of responses in America today to thinking that the country's going in the wrong direction. Those are moral concerns. Now, fortunately, in the universities and in economics, things have really changed a lot. Uh, the fact is that uh, economists and other scientists look at facts, and a lot of the experiments that I mentioned, the facts that I mentioned, are essentially causing people to sit up and take notice. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking, well, maybe, maybe humanity is a complicated thing. Maybe sometimes we are a moral animal, and maybe we should start dealing with our economy as if it was based both on uh, morality and people's sense of obligation to each other and indeed obligation to our own view of ourselves and also self-interest. And, you know, if, we, if we're self-interested when we're shopping, well, okay. If we're self-interested in dealing with our employees, uh, well, maybe not okay. Uh, maybe we should actually have some sense of obligation to the people who we have the responsibility for employing. So seeing ourselves as a more complex uh, kind of... Uh, uh, psychology and providing opportunities for people to be the kind of person they want to be. Uh, I think that gives us some space, even to use incentives. Yeah, that's powerful. Game. Hey, I have to ask you as as we let you go. We only have about a minute left, uh, but about Nelson Mandela, you were an economic advisor to uh, Mr. Mandela, um, and, and again, they. It seems like Mandela and your principles here jive so well together. Anything you can tell us about that experience, what you learned from him? 
Well, I'll tell you, the, I think a, a couple of the most inspiring experiences of my life that really directed my life in economics was uh, being an economic advisor to Senator Robert Kennedy when mm. he was running for president before he was killed, and uh, being asked to give advice to President Mandela and uh, both before and after the end of apartheid in South Africa. Uh, to see these towering individuals, towering intellects, both of them, and also deeply motivated by moral concerns. It was just an example, and it gave to me a sense of, oh, I'm a scientist. I'm, I mean, I basically, I, you know, I'm something of a nerd. I deal with numbers, and I calculate things and so on. But it gave me a sense of direction, a kind of light, which I should try to follow, uh, to be like them, to help people like that, to help them make good choices when I can. It's a hard job. I think everybody should have opportunities to do that, and I think we all do. No, I agree. And to have these iconic, um, we need these examples in our life so we can follow somebody. We need we need that insight. Dr. Samuel yeah. Bowles, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for your great work and uh, highly recommend the book, The Moral Economy, Why Good Incentives Are No Substitute for Good Citizens. We'll take a break, folks. Come back again. Our goal is to help you be the moral good in the world. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Boy, a little hip music there. Holy cow. It's just a rave. It's just nothing, a rave. Nothing to see here. Hey, uh, we wanted to do a little update on Subway. Last, uh, the beginning of the week, we were talking about Subway having some problems with so, their turkey. The Canadian chicken. Oh, chicken. Canadian Broadcasting Company did a survey of a bunch of different sandwich shops in whatever area they were in Canada, one of those being Subway, they tested the uh, chicken in their chicken sandwiches. And they came back saying they DNA tested the chicken, right? They wanted to prove it was actually chicken. And all the other restaurants came back as, yeah, chicken. But Subway's came back as like 53% chicken and the rest was soy. Okay. Right, so it's like- Well, do the chickens eat a lot of soy? No. <laughs> Darn it, it. It's just kind of so in other words, you chicken and you mash it with stuff mm. and you kind of thin yeah. out the – yeah. So, uh, But Subway Lab says uh, lab test commission showed that its chicken contains only trace amounts of soy. This after the CBC show reported that tests showed that only about half the DNA from Subway chicken samples are from chicken. The rest is mostly from soy. After the, they called the report false and misleading, Subway followed up by saying it sent its chicken to two labs. The results from both found soy protein to be less than 1% of the samples. The fast food chain has said it's performed different types of tests that than the uh, apparently CBC only did one type of test. Subway okay. did several types. Yeah. Subway says that one test for the presence uh, or absence of a species showed that the protein was chicken and a second determined the amount of soy content. So they did two separate okay, tests. Okay, good, good. They've established good. it's 100%. There's a little bit of soy, but just. 130% chicken. Right. So there you go. Subway, it's chicken. Subway did their own test on their chicken, and according to Subway, it's it's all chicken. According to Canadian Broadcasting, it's like half and half. But what do they know? Alternative facts. And also, uh, your favorite uh, rappers, Kanye West. Oh, yeah, Kanye. You love Kanye. Kanye Kardashian. Well, no, it's... Yeah, but you you get it. Kim West. He released an extended 17-minute version Holy cow. Of a 2007 song that he put out. The song's called Bed. He put it on SoundCloud, but it's 17 minutes long. Is that the one that got him in trouble? Probably, but it's 17 minutes long. If you would like to- uh, Hold it. What do you- You listen to a song for 17 minutes? That's what they're trying to say. (laughs) 
Wow. That's would, a long song. Is there a song out there that you would listen to for 17 minutes? No. I can think of one. Um, Weird Al Yankovic's Trapped in the Drive-Thru. Okay. Which is a spoof of R. Kelly's song, Trapped in the Closet, which right. is about 17 minutes long. Yeah, there you go. Wow. And you'd listen to it? I could listen to it again and All again. Right. It says, although West has been featured on several songs, probably called Tracks, if you were in yeah. the industry, yeah. other for other artists over the year, this is the first track since he was hospitalized in November. He had oh, a good. nervous breakdown or something of that So nature. now he's making 17-minute tracks. Yeah. Healthy. The track that never ends. I think Barney used to have a song that never ended. Um, we will take a break, folks. When we come back, a uh, whole new hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, hanging out with Jeffrey Simpson and Terry South, of course. Top of the Friday morning to you. You made it another week. So proud of you all. And uh, happy Employee Appreciation Day. So was that proud uh, statement, was that thrown in there with the day? Or did you genuinely mean that? I genuinely meant it. I appreciate my, I don't have employees. I appreciate my coworkers. Yeah, that's where I'm confused at. You're not our boss. I have employees, but they're not at BYU. Yeah. And I appreciate my non-BYU. It doesn't say appreciate appreciate your employee days or your employees. It's employee it says, appreciation. Appreciate employees. I am an, an employee. And, and I'd like to be appreciated. Well, yeah. So talk to your talk to the people that employ you. Yeah, talk to Don. I don't know. You're missing the point. I'm an employee. Terry's an employee. Yeah. So why can't we be appreciated by anyone? Well, it's not coworker appreciation day. There's a day that way you too. Guys, you're you're just not getting it. Well, you're not getting the, <laughs> the point of the day. The day is like Let, a, you know what? it's a, a response idea. to bosses' day. Let's just celebrate Canadian Bacon Day. Man, that we can all get our teeth around. It's Where chewy. is my Canadian bacon, by the way? You promised me some. I'll get you some. I promise. It's sometime. in the bag marked ham on Matt's desk. Oh, yeah. That, there's been a bag of ham on my desk. Yeah. Have you noticed that for well, it's, weeks? It's, it's Canadian oh, bacon. Oh, Yeah, that's right. I should have followed the trail of juice with all the ants. <laughs> Don't you hate the ham runoff juice? That's never good. Hey, um, we've got a lot coming up. Uh, we'll be talking with Brad Wilcox, Dr. Brad Wilcox here from Brigham Young University. And I, I really, he's. I'm just excited to have him on the show. He's a wonderful speaker, a wonderful guest, and he's written a lot on grace. And I think we just need a little pick me up. And I think Brad Wilcox is the guy to do it. There's a lot of tension in the world. There's a lot of anger between people in the world. And I'm going to see if I can get uh, Brad to help us understand how to just get along with each other. And I think he literally will pick us up. He really He's will. that kind of guy. He's a big, strong guy, and he likes to give you a hug. So we'll be talking with Dr. Brad Wilcox in a few minutes. Um, and also, we'll be doing a lot of empty news today. Empty standing for Matt Townsend News. Uh, some people think I'm saying empty. Hmm. But no, M-T. It's an, it's Alternative my, facts. My initials. Empty news, news information, some of which you didn't even know you needed to know, but it's, it's, some of it's very important to know. I mean, right? Like what, roll up your window. If bears come yep. around, 
roll up your window because you don't want any bear just coming in at any time, right? And getting in your getting in your business. Dawn is here, I'm sure, to celebrate a uh, employee appreciation day. Guys, I just want to tell you how much I really appreciate you. I knew could, it. I, could I just yes. tell you that? I so appreciate you guys. Wow. Get that wow. Don did it. But notice he didn't bring any Canadian bacon with him. No, he didn't. It's outside. It's outside. <laughs> Thank you, Don. Thanks, Don. Don's just appreciating his employee. And by the way, every every employer out there should take a minute today to just give your people a hug. Maybe a hundred, two, three, four, five hundred dollar bonus. Oh wow! Yeah, that's really appreciated. Don just slipped a. I would 500 for, in my pocket. I would forego the bonus if we did every other Friday was a, a day off. Paid. Yes. But you have vacation. No, we don't. Mm. Well, sorry. <laughs> I have vacation days. No wonder I'm the only one that gets sick here. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. You can afford to get sick. Like right now, I have a I have a cold coming on. I have a major cold coming on. I can feel it. I might be out all next week. You need a neti pot. Cleanse your sinuses. Just Joe get ahead and bought me a neti pot, <laughs> but it did work. Yeah. I've only did I only dared do it once because I felt like I was being waterboarded by myself. Well, they said you get you use it more, you get used to the sensation yeah. of drowning. I don't know. It's I don't know. It's a lot of work. We'll get to all the fun, the empty news. Uh, Brad Wilcox to walk us through how to find grace in this world, and um, also uh, <laughs> everyone's talking Russia. Hmm. But if you're into the Drudge Report, on the front page of the Drudge Report, now there's a picture of Schumer with uh, Putin having donuts. Oh, no. <laughs> That's the problem is every picture yeah. with a Russian leader now is going to start coming out. Amy Schumer? Uh, no, Chuck Schumer. His cousin. Her cousin. Chuck Her cousin Chuck. Her cousin Chuck. Yeah. I don't know that I want to see Amy Schumer having donuts with Putin. I, don't, I just don't want to see her, period. She's nice. Anywho, let's move on to the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world? President Donald Trump on Thursday said that he has total confidence in Attorney General Jeff Sessions. A day after he was, it was revealed that he had uh, Sessions had conversations with Russia's ambassador to the U.S. without disclosing it to the Senate during his confirmation hearings. The White House was reportedly unaware of Sessions' contact with the Russian ambassador before the Washington Post's initial report on Wednesday night. A growing chorus of Democrats calling for Sessions to resign, while some Republicans have joined Democrats' call for a special Special prosecutor to spearhead an independent probe into the Trump campaign's alleged communication with the Russian officials during the campaign time. Trump on Thursday said he thinks Sessions probably testified truthfully about his contact with Russia. He was on an aircraft carrier yesterday. President Trump was, and they're yelling out questions. He's like, "Probably." They <laughs> go, "How much do you trust him?" Totally seven. Heading down the road here. Got to go look at some elevators lifting airplanes to the deck. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Attorney General Sessions says that he was uh, acting in his capacity as a U.S. senator when he met with the Russian ambassador at the Republican National Convention. But the Wall Street Journal reports that he paid for related expenses with his political funds and that he spoke about President Trump's campaign at the event. Sessions came under fire this week, as we've talked about, with the Russian ambassador and all that stuff. He announced in the wake of the controversy that he would recuse himself from any inquiry related to the 2016 presidential campaign. In other news, the Senate has confirmed former Texas Governor Rick Perry to serve as the Energy Secretary under Trump. The vote, 62 to 37. Wow. On Thursday, per the AP, the move comes hours after Ben Carson was confirmed as the new HUD Secretary. <laughs> HUD Secretary? 
HUD secretary. Oh, HUD secretary. In other okay. news, the vandalism of more than a dozen headstones at a Jewish cemetery in Rochester, New York, is being investigated by the State Hate Crimes Task Force, the third known case of a Jewish cemetery desecration in the country in the last two weeks. Democratic New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said he ordered the investigation given the wave of bomb threats that later proved to be hoax targeting Jewish community centers and vandalism at Jewish cemeteries in Philadelphia and St. Louis. So, a story that keeps going. Absolutely. And finally, pretty much everyone, uh, every news site is looking for ways to make its comment sections less of a cesspool from linking comments to users' Facebook pages to just getting rid of commenting altogether. That's how most websites have dealt with it is they just, eh, we're not going to have you comment because it just turns into a fight. Business Insider reports that Norwegian public broadcaster NRK... Yes. NRK. NRK recently debuted a novel solution, a three-question multiple-choice quiz about the article that the user must pass before leaving a comment. The quiz debuted on a handful of stories the sites in the site's tech section last month. Neiman Labs is a... Uh, is a journalistic endeavor as they kind of look at this kind of stuff. They're reporting the idea behind the quiz is to make sure the people actually read the article before commenting. And the staff at the paper in Norway says it's working. The paper says the time it takes to pass the quiz gives commenters a chance to cool off oh. before posting. You also have to read the entire article, so you can't just read the headline. Yeah, you can't just go and off. And go nuts. You have to read the whole article because you have to know some key details before you pass the quiz so you can comment. Okay. And when you put that extra step in, most people go, eh, and move on because it's, it's too much time. Those comment sections, that's like a good 30 seconds of entertainment. Because some people have genuinely funny comments. Others, they just fight back and forth, which is also funny. And then you quickly get to profanity and decide, I probably shouldn't be reading this. <laughs> yeah, but they you, can be funny. Yeah. You're an idiot. No, yeah. you're an idiot. Yeah, I, I think. Oh, and then there's always the, my mom makes $400 a day working from home. Click this link. <laughs> it's like, well, this person didn't read the article. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. <sighs> Jeffrey, you're a good man, Jeff. Have I told you how much I appreciate you and working with you and just how much I care about you being you. You know, there's a lot of employees I work with, Jeff, uh, not being your manager, not being your employer. I just feel sometimes I need to appreciate you and let you know how much I think you do, how much I think you think you do, stuff like that. And I just want you to know I recognize your great work, your desire to be the best you can be, your desire to lift one another. I appreciate you on this Employee Appreciation Day. <laughs> now, get back to work! <laughs> Today's the day, folks. You celebrate those you work with. Really, if you're the employer, you should be doing this. And Don came in, our very boss, the leader of our great, you know, cohort, came in and put his arms around me, slipped a five... <laughs> Fiverr in my pocket and said, thanks, we appreciate you. I will just reiterate, thank you, first of all, Matt, for that lovely <laughs> anthem, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not Appreciate Your Employees Day, it's Employee Appreciation Day. So we appreciate employees everywhere. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's, it's really a response to Boss Day. 
right? Because we always celebrate Boss Day. Yeah, but you're just saying that because that's what's written on the paper. Exactly. (laughs) Hey, um, lots to talk about. Uh, For example, what have I told you, Jeff? I have told you this. If I've told you once, I've told you 50 times. If you if if you are sitting in your car and a bear comes up, what are you supposed to do, Jeff? What have I told you? Well, I think most people would pull pull out their cell phones. No, but what have I told you? Maybe to take do some photos. With your window. I've t- uh, you always roll your windows up. But they're so cute. <laughs> I just wanted to pet it, Daddy. While driving through the Black Bear enclosure at the safari-style park outside of Beijing on Sunday, a white car stopped and uh, its back windows uh, were rolled down, causing a group of bears to gather around the car, with one trying to claw its way inside the vehicle. Um, It wasn't until park officers ordered the vehicle to move over uh, using a loudspeaker that the car jolted ahead and the situation was resolved. Without any bloodshed. That's great. You know... I don't know what's more jolting, that they just sat there with their windows down thinking the bears would just sit there being all cute or that they had to use a loudspeaker to get the person to drive to drive away. Holy cow. Before entering the bear enclosure, there is a sign warning visitors not to get out of their cars and to close their windows and to lock their doors. Apparently, these bears know how to jimmy a lock. Additionally, a sign in the front of the vehicle at the time of the bear attack reads, Treasure life. Do not leave the car. Mm. <laughs> what is wrong with people that I think I'm going to – my legs need a stretch right in the middle of bear, black bear country. We have a friend that went through um, a, a park, a petting zoo kind of park in Tennessee and they just had llamas and ostriches and stuff and – it sounded like a murder scene, the video she took. She was terrified, and I can't imagine it being a bear. But I, I believe we have – do we have audio from the scene? We do. Yeah, so here it is. Wow. Please stop. Why are you here? Why are you here? Oh! Bear, please stop that. It's not even food. It doesn't even taste good. Yeah. She's doing the famous trying to dissuade the bear from doing bear-like things. Yeah, I didn't Talking include the, the bear. I didn't even include the part where she said where she threatens the bear with the mace. I'm going to pepper spray yeah. you in the face. Yeah, that sounded a lot like that lady where the bear was different attacking woman. her different her woman. kayak. Nope, no different one. Totally different. But th- I thought that, that this story took pl- place in China. What are you trying to say? Oh, were we using our Chinese? Special filter? No. So we could interpret what there, the Chinese There are plenty saying? of Americans in oh, China okay. or plenty of Chinese people that speak American or English. Or American. <laughs> yeah, good. American English. Okay. We also don't have a budget for a universal translator. Oh, did we get rid of the translator? Those are really expensive, so we don't really have that. We haven't anymore. used our universal. We have an incredible translation department at BYU. Well, Don's allocating those those funds. We're we're moving them over to the fund to get Terry and me some sick time off. Sick, sick time off. You know, Trump wants to move money to the Defense Department. He has to take it out of the EPA at BYU. See, sure, they got to sure. take it out of TV so that we can get some uh, okay. funds and radio. It's just the same fund. thing. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, it's just budget allocation. <laughs> it's 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 really just how you cut it all up, right? Yeah. Um, well, let's do let's do one more while we're just talking money and we're on the issue of money here. Uh, 
a Brit sells his Swiss Mountain Air. You can buy Swiss Mountain Air. Really? Like, who doesn't? Sometimes in Utah, there's an inversion, and it's just nasty, horrible air quality. It's just down. And right. How many times do you sit back and you think, ah, I just need some of that Swiss Mountain Air? I just need it. Well, I need buy me it. some air. You, yeah. you can buy it for $167 per bottle. Hey, you know what? What? You know how uh, we've been talking about how somebody left their candy here for a, a week? Yeah, yeah. It looks like he also left a bottle of that stuff. Bottle of air? Of this Swiss mountain. Swiss mountain air. What? Okay. Let's open it up. You don't think he'll be upset that we're opening his $167 bottle of Swiss mountain air? Well, he left it here. You leave your air. Touche. I, I get to use it. All right. It. You ready for this? Yeah, open it. Mm. Oh. Swissy. Oh. That's Swiss air. That's some good breathing right there. Mmm. Oh, wait. Oh, knocked it over. Um, $167. That, uh, that was good air. It would have lasted longer. I'm sorry I dropped it. It actually... You know, it, it makes a good instrument, though. Listen to this. <laughs> that sounds like, uh, that sounds like some Swiss... I bet you didn't know I could do this, either. Okay, put the bottle down. Put the bottle down. Apparently, John Green uh, is making some big money on this. $97. The bottles range from $97 for 500 milliliters all the way up to $250 if you want three liters of Swiss Air. This is going to be one of those things where the next, uh, you know, movie that they make about the apocalypse or, you know, people living in this... You know, like a Hunger Games type of environment. This is going to be the thing that's going to be on the black market, yeah. the Swiss Mountain Air. There, there, I mean, there will be a day that you'll have to have like a two-year supply of, of Swiss Mountain Air just to, you know, just to live. You'll buy it in the shadows or in an alley in the back of somebody's truck. You know what's great about it too, though, is every bottle of Swiss Valley or Swiss Mountain Air that you buy, 25% of the profits – go to World Vision in support of a clean water program in Africa. Well, Vision, these, these people need oxygen, not yeah, Vision. But, no, but that's – so you're paying you're, – you're, you're sending your money for Swiss Air, but it goes to World Vision to pay for uh, water in Africa. Well, then I think you would want to get some Swiss eyes to help no. them with their vision. What you ought to do is just write a check for clean water in Africa. Just an idea. You know what, though? You can't cut out the middleman. Well, these these bottles are going to decrease the possibility of clean water because, you know, why, those... It takes money. It takes, yeah, it takes Bottles water. floating in the water. I agree. It's not safe. I totally agree. Uh, Swiss Mountain Air. In fact, I'm doing everything I can to see if we, if we could get them to become one of our sponsors. <laughs> because we had one bottle and it's gone. And by the way, I, we downed that bottle fast... Now all we have is the smell of Matt's ham. It's just, yeah, my uh, Canadian bacon. Folks, we got uh, a great uh, guest coming in, uh, really great spirit. Dr. Brad Wilcox is, will be joining us, and uh, he brings a lot to the table. I'm going to be picking his brain every way possible. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Stick with us.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. So, so honored to have Dr. Brad Wilcox with us. Uh, Brad Wilcox, if you are a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know Brad Wilcox because he is... He's one of the, the most, I think, loved speakers out there, and his heart is immense and incredible. He has some wonderful insights into grace, and uh, really, the funniest thing, and I think I talked about this with you last time, Brad, you were here, you taught my son about maturity and the maturation yeah, program. Yeah, I've done that in the public schools for many years. So You've taught, You teach literacy? Yeah. You're an education professor, but... Today, you have a new book uh, that's coming out called Changed Through His Grace, and it's it's very targeted. Uh, it's a book about the Savior's ability to, to work with us Absolutely. and change us. Yeah, I think, you know, many people uh, are familiar with the phrase saved by grace, yeah. and that's a phrase that we hear all across denominations, but few people stop and think about the importance of not just being saved by grace, but being changed by grace, being transformed by grace, and recognizing that the Savior's power extends beyond just getting us to heaven, but actually helps us become heavenly. On earth. On earth and after. I mean, just to be able to actually make changes and to be actually become more like him. So talk about grace, because I, I, I feel like we live in a world where there's so much contention, there's so much uh, anger, resentment, there's, there's competition, there's envy, and it's almost like we don't—maybe explain to us, define grace for us, and maybe we always think of grace with God, but isn't there a point of grace where we need to show grace to others? Yes, scriptures say grace for grace, that we should extend to others grace as freely and as lovingly as as God extends it to us. I think the reason grace seems to be in the middle of so much contention is because it, it's the the Protestant movement started focusing on this clear back in Martin Luther's day. Martin Luther probably today would be called OCD. <laughs> he was he was uh, uh, always up early, to bed late, doing double the work of anybody else. And his confessions, he would spend hours reconfessing the same things. And he would confess and then he'd say, well, maybe I left out one detail and mm. he'd confess again and – until the point that he was driving himself crazy and driving everybody around him crazy. And that's when some of his leaders kind of showed him in the New Testament this doctrine of grace, which then he studied and which he adopted and which saved him. And then it became kind of the the thrust of the Protestant movement as they kind of stepped away from the sacraments and the and the um, ordinances and the and the rules of of Catholicism, and so it, the fact that there's contention about grace is no surprise because it's at the heart of the split hmm. between the reformers and the Catholic Church. But I think if people truly understand what it is, then it doesn't have to be something that divides us as much as it's something that unites us. So how would you define it? Well, anciently, the Hebrew word that was translated as grace means goodwill 
or favor Mm. given with compassion. Now, many English words have multiple meanings, and grace is no exception. Uh, it means it can mean beauty, it can mean elegance, it can mean courtesy and kindness. It can be a prayer. Oh, we're saying grace, mm. or it could be a salutation. Oh, grace be unto you, like we read in the New Testament. Right, right. But I think when we think of the actual Hebrew, then you understand why Christians have grabbed that phrase because they say, oh, grace is God's goodwill. Mm -hmm. It's God's favor given with compassion. To you, yeah. But I think it goes beyond that because where many Christians stop there, I think we need to go beyond that. We need to recognize that grace is not just a description of God's attributes, but it's the power. It's the divine help, the enabling power that allows us to begin to develop those attributes ourselves, to Mm. develop the kind of goodwill, the kind of favor, the kind of, of love that God has. So grace isn't just a description yeah. of goodness. It's the power God shares with us as we engage with him in trying to be better. And I think that's the key. Grace is the help that God gives us to become more like him. Mm. And grace is the divine assistance that God gives us to help us become divine. We, we had a uh, professor on recently talking about how many millennials, for example, are no longer, uh, no longer even identifying themselves as, as Christian or a faithful. They call them nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Yeah. No, they, don't, they, they don't see a need for religion. And one of the reasons for it is because they feel there was so much his, hypocrisy in it. And it sounds like what you're teaching us is this this idea of true grace would eliminate, hopefully, to some degree, the human hypocrisy that we all carry. Yeah, you usually hear young people say phrases like, well, I don't believe in organized religion, but I believe in God. Or, yeah. I'm spiritual, yeah, but we not talk religious. About that. And that's a phrase that you hear often, um, which would be a wonderful thing if we all lived on mountaintops. It true, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. If, yeah, if, if we all lived on a mountaintop where we could commune with nature, look at the sunrise, and uh, just feel close to God, then spirituality would suffice. Religion, organized religion, is the group practice of spirituality. And as long as we live in groups, as long as we live in families, we will need religion to be able to help us live our spirituality. Mm. See, spirituality in and of itself isn't a lived experience. How do you forgive? I mean, how do you really grasp forgiveness until somebody has offended you so deeply that you think, I can't do this? How do you love somebody who's unlovable? Mm -hmm. Oh, on a mountaintop, that's easy. I can just sit there and I can talk (laughs) about about love and I can talk about forgiveness and I can talk about peace. Well, how do you feel peace when you've got your family falling apart and mom and dad are fighting every stinking day? Well, see, religion is the way that we can implement spirituality. And grace is the power that God gives us to make changes. 
And that's what we've got to remember is that is that people do have this ability to change. That's another view that's being mm, lost. Totally. Because everybody says, I don't want to change. I want God to change. I want religion to change and accept me just the way I am. Rather than recognizing that God is willing to help us be able to make those changes. I met a young man once who uh, – who disappointed his stepfather in in the, in Las Vegas because his stepfather felt like he should be out carousing with the boys, mm. he should be out drinking, he should be proving his manhood with young ladies, he should be and he could not the father just could not get over that this kid was interested in religion. <laughs> and as this kid became more and more involved with his church, then the father was just so disappointed he finally kicked him out. Well, later that boy wrote me and he said, I just heard a talk in church about how we're supposed to love our parents. He says, how do I love my stepfather when I don't even like him very much? (laughs) And he wrestled with that for a long time. Finally, he wrote me and he said, you know, I finally have realized that for me right now, Love doesn't mean I'm going to go bowling with him every Thursday, and love doesn't mean I'm going to follow him in unrighteousness. He says, love means that I'm going to feel sorry for him, and I am going to not give up the hope that he can change. Now, that's Mm. grace. That's God's power. What on earth has the ability to reach into that boy's heart? And give him that new perspective. Give him that new focus. And allow him to deal with that. To be able to forgive someone he never thought he could forgive. To be able to love and to begin to love somebody that he didn't. Hmm. To be able to begin to understand maybe where his father was coming from so that he could feel sorry for him. That's, that's something we don't do ourselves. But we do it, I guess, so we, we relate to God, we study of God, we think of God, we feel his presence, we pray to him, but th- we then have to also exercise all of these insights real time with the tests and trials around us. Right. And that's where, you know, um, you know lots of people who never get over that. Because they've, they've never let that grace in. Mm. They never let that power in. And so they reject the gift. Grace is a gift. Grace is a gift from God. It's a free gift. It's not something we earn or merit, but it is something that needs to be received. All gifts need to be received. You know, Aunt Martha's fruitcake, <laughs> uh, you know, you smile and you say, thanks, Aunt Martha. And then the minute she leaves, you dump it in the trash. <laughs> well, that shows that you don't value the gift. But this boy valued the gift. He received it. He internalized it. He appreciated it. And that's what made a difference in his life. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Um, again, we're speaking today with Dr. Brad Wilcox uh, from Brigham Young University. He's in the education department here. Also has a brand new book out, Changed Through His Grace, talking about uh, 
the the grace that God gives all of us, but also the grace that we need to give to others and emanate that light. Um, when we come back, I want to talk to Brad. Also, uh, he has an incredible um, YouTube video. You need to go look up on YouTube. His grace is sufficient. It's a speech here at Brigham Young University that is one of the most popular speeches out there. But I want to talk about perfection because grace is also me having grace for myself to not always have to be perfect at everything, good at everything. Uh, More with Dr. Brad Wilcox up next, helping you see and be the good in the world. Folks, stick with us. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends. Today we're talking about grace and uh, the book from our good friend Brad Wilcox, "Changed Through His Grace." It, it's a it's a it's a religious book, and it's it's very dedicated uh, to God, and it it also teaches, I think, so many things that the average citizen, the average human, just needs to get through life. Uh, Doctor Brad Wilcox is a professor here at BYU, um, a professor of education and also was a member of the general board um, on, in the Sunday school um, for the LDS Church as well. So also the author of several books. One of my favorite is The Continuous Atonement and Infinite Atonement. Great stuff you've been doing. Thank you. Thanks for being here, Brad. Now talk about – because we, we hear this grace, this relationship with God. God extends grace to us to, um, to I guess, to, to give us this hope and this love of him – Wanting us to come back and be able to be with him and power and a, a real power to you're be saying able to do that yeah um, and I think so often young people and those of us who are a little older as well we kind of fall into a trap where we think oh God's not going to help me until I'm worthy right or until I'm, I'm perfect. righteous or until I'm perfect it's like once I break all my bad habits and once I quit doing all these things then. God will help me. But that, that, uh, that kind of leads to this perfectionistic drive that says I kind of have to prove myself to God almost as if I have to you know, pass with a certain level of the ACT yeah. to be able to get into the university and then the professors will help me. <laughs> then, um, then you're good enough to talk to a professor. Exactly. But I think we have to understand that grace is – is not a prize for the righteous. It's the source of righteousness. And it's not a reward for the worthy. It is the source of worthiness. Uh, That God's help is available to us, not like a light at the end of the tunnel, but as a light that surrounds us here and now and moves us through the tunnel, bad habits and all. Mm -hmm. And the message to perfectionists isn't that you don't have to try. See, for many years, that's how people viewed grace. Right. Oh, it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. So party on. We're just going to do whatever we want. You, you can just be a spiritual couch potato and you're covered because <laughs> grace is going to just come and you'll be fine. <laughs> Mop and, it up. And for many years, that's been the, the, the definition. But I think as we realize that grace isn't uh, <clears throat> isn't it isn't a way of getting rid of God's expectations of us? It's the presence of His power. It's that we 
we it's not that we don't have to do anything it's that we don't do it alone mm. talk about the metaphor of all metaphors for me was the piano lesson oh i'm glad you enjoyed that because that is i think the perfect so talk about the piano metaphor and why we practice well in in most christian theologies in most christian denominations they seek and understand that Jesus's atonement, his suffering, <clears throat> his passion, um, pays the debt we have to justice. Justice demands immediate perfection. Yeah, you got to be perfect, or you can't go to a God. Punishment, but because Jesus took that punishment, he can now turn to us with a different arrangement. He can expect eventual perfection. Mm. And he can be willing to help us and tutor us along the way. The comparison I've used for years now that you have alluded to is that, uh, you know, when mom pays the piano teacher, you know, mom pays yeah. the piano teacher, the kid doesn't pay. Mom pays the piano teacher. But because mom pays the piano teacher, then she can expect something from the child. And what is it? Practice. Practice. Got to practice. Practice. The practice doesn't pay the piano teacher. No, mom paid the piano and teacher. And the practice doesn't pay mom back for paying the piano teacher. And the practice doesn't combine or supplement with mom's payment mm -mm. to reach some sort of total. No, mom paid it. But because she paid it, we show we appreciate it. We show we value this gift that mom is giving us, this opportunity to live our lives on a higher level as we practice. Now, some people would say, oh, so you're not earning heaven. You're just practicing for it. And I would say yes. But then they'd say, well, then doesn't that just another way of saying you're saved by your works? And I say no, because practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Mm. Think of the way people hold their pens and right. pencils. Right. Oh, my gosh. I've seen some of the craziest <laughs> positions As a teacher, you've yeah. ever seen. Convoluted. Oh, my goodness. And yet to try to ask them to change that is almost impossible yeah. because they've practiced it for so long. <clears throat> so practice didn't make perfect. It made permanent. Christ makes perfect. Mm. As we practice, he's willing to tutor us. As we practice his Christ-like attributes. Yes, as we practice grace. heavenly lives, as we practice goodness, he's willing to succor us and tutor us and mentor us and, and shape us and help us. As we practice, he's, he's able to say, look, don't hold it quite like that. Now do this. Okay, now you're doing well. Try it one more time. Yeah. And it's that engagement with him that is where we feel the, the power of his grace. So, yeah, we're not earning heaven. We're learning it, and we're not learning it alone. Mm. We're learning it with his help, and, and that's, that's the, what grace That's is. what you're saying grace is. And then – so I, I need to learn to take the grace I receive from God and extend it to myself – my own, like so I don't yeah, beat myself feel, up. Right. When you feel like, oh, my gosh, I should have done this better. I should have done that better. Well, of course we should. Yeah. But you stop and you say, okay, I'm not doing this alone. I don't have to get to that point before I'm able to approach God. 
God's the one that's helping me get to mm. that point. And that's the hope for perfectionists is it's not the absence. Grace is not the absence of rules or commandments or, or goals. Effort, yeah. Or effort. Grace is the presence of God's power and his willingness to engage with us in this perfecting process. It's realizing that we are being perfected in him mm. and not perfected so that we can be with him. Mm. It's almost um, – because we hear so much about religion and even the Christian right and so much has been said and done for religion and yet there's so – little piece too. So what would grace, if we extended it to others, what do you think that could do to our country? How could it help us? How would it unite us if we could truly extend that grace? Well, I believe that that is not just an answer. That is the answer. I think that that that's what God expects of us. In Spanish, I lived in Chile mm. for five years. Yeah. And in Spanish, the word gracias is very similar to gracia, which is grace. Mm -hmm. There's a connection. The grace we receive, we should feel thankful for because that's what gracias means, thanks. Right. And how do we show our thanks? By giving it to others, by extending to them the love, the mercy, and the help, the mentoring that can enable them to make positive changes. I love uh, working and seeing people who are engaged in 12-step programs. I speak to them often. And the thing I love about those programs isn't just that they're getting a pep talk. It's that they have mentors, mm. people who are s working with them side by side. That is grace for grace. There you go. And, and grace for grace changes everyone, yeah. lifts everyone. Yeah. Man, good and stuff. that is the hope. That is the hope. That's what I cling to. When I look around myself and I say, oh, my goodness, this is going south. That's going south. This is going crazy. I just smile and I say, there's hope. And if I can feel that, others can feel it. Christ isn't a statue. He's not a painting. He's real. And his atonement is not a fable. It's real. It's not a myth. And the power from that atonement that we call grace, that is is not a magic charm. It's not a lucky charm. It's a real power that changes us. It's changed others. I've seen it. It's changing me. I see it. It can change the world. Powerful. Dr. Brad Wilcox go, uh, is his name. Go look up the book, Changed Through His Grace. Also, go find on YouTube the video, His Grace is Sufficient. And then let's start to spread the grace. Let's start to see the grace in God and also spread the grace, grace for grace. Uh, Brad, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. We'll go uh, to Leanna Tan and have a little tangent. Stick with us. Think about your five senses. You use them every day. Has anyone ever asked you if you had to give up one, which one you'd give up? 
you probably automatically start thinking about, you know, living a life blind or deaf, right? But have you ever considered what it would be like without being able to taste or smell? One of our producers, Leanna Tan, brought in her friend who has lived her entire life without these two senses. Lately, I've been having a hard time eating my veggies, and I finally figured out why. They're so bland. I have to, like, mix them with sauce or something to douse them with flavor. I live for flavor. And looking back, most of my life has revolved around food. I mean, think about it. It's at nearly every meeting, social gathering, or family event you go to. But what if you took the flavor out of food? All food, not just veggies. What would life be like? I wanted to know myself, so I invited my friend Eric Summers, who has no sense of taste or smell, to give us an inside look at a world you probably couldn't even comprehend. How did you discover this lack of taste? In kindergarten, we were having, like, honey tasting. So we had a bunch of different straws of what apparently was different flavors of honey. And I just remember that they were the same. So I think I was born not being able to taste. Do you know why you don't have no, to taste? No, uh-uh. and doctors don't either. How does this impact your sense of smell? Greatly. My mom grew rose bushes, and she was pruning them, and then she snipped one off and smelled it. said, Eric, come here, smell this one. And, of course, nothing happened. I had never experienced something happening with breathing through my nose that was unique from breathing through my mouth. To what degree can you not taste and smell? It's complete. There's no taste at all. It's like eating different consistencies of wet cardboard. However, I can sense when things are spicy. I wonder if that has something to do with, like, there's a chemical reaction that happens that's not quite taste. Or when things are very sour, they'll make my mouth kind of water. Or I'll have, like, very gritty teeth. And what does spicy feel like? I would describe it as scratchy. It's okay, because for a lot of people, spicy is so spicy they can't taste it anyway. So we're kind of with you on that. How do you choose what food to eat and what foods you like? It's texture with me. What's your favorite food? My favorite texture? I've never given up on liking water chestnuts or pound cake. What is a food you really hate? Tomatoes. Or grapes sometimes are bad because I just feel like I'm chomping down on a beetle. So have you ever eaten something bad on accident? Because, you know, you go to the fridge like, okay, this is past expiration date, but still smells good. I'm going to do it. I've had to, like, bite down into milk a few times. Does that mean that you eat healthier because everything tastes the same, so you're like, all right, vegetables it is? I'm sure that it's a big help. Because, like, chips, I don't have, like, a love for Cool Ranch Doritos, right? Because they're just like every other chip. On the one hand, do you ever feel like you're missing out on something? Oh, yeah, of course. But on the other hand, it's kind of a superpower. So have you ever done, like, dares or anything? Do people dare you to eat stuff a lot? Yeah, well, if it's not really spicy or hot, I'll try it, you know. In my chemistry class in high school, our teacher had this jug of some type of liquid that he was growing some type of bacteria in. He said he would give anybody who could take like a big whiff of it and not gag extra credit on our final exam. And so I just looked the teacher right in the eyes and I just took a big old whiff of it, unfazed. This is how Eric Summers has made it through college. Yeah. You could make a lot of money. Don't tell people about your superpower. Yeah. How much will he give me if I eat this? Exactly. I should. Do you think because you don't have a sense of taste or smell, your other senses are more acute? Sense of humor. (laughs) No, no sense of humor. No fashion sense. Common sense. Tasteless in more than one way. Yeah. I think the only one that has been improved is my sense of touch. Like, I can tell what shirt or what pair of pants I'm holding just by holding it and feeling what fabric it is. You know, I can feel mosquitoes when they land on me. I've also heard that in romantic relationships, smell is actually a huge part. Is it? Pheromones. So I wonder... Mm. 
if you still have that ability, now you're rethinking all of your yeah, relationships. Yeah, now I'm like, it just didn't, it just didn't work out. I just couldn't smell you. Or you love everyone because everyone. Everyone smells like roses. Well, I'll tell you, I'm always terrified that I smell bad. I've never noticed you smell bad. Ugh, good. But how do you pick out cologne then, or deodorant? I used to just do unscented deodorant because if I can't get to smell me, then nobody should get to smell me. But with cologne, I just like if there's somebody that I need to smell extra good for, I'll just let them decide. Because see, that's a, another world entirely to me. When you look at like colognes, some of the smells or the ways that they're described as smelling, I just don't understand. Like rustic. What is a rustic smell? No one really understands you know, that. <laughs> right? Like, I think it's a sham. When I have to choose, on one hand, the rustic, and on the other hand, like, the clean, I'm just going to pick the cheaper one, because it could just be water in there. Okay, final question. If you could taste one thing, what would it be? Uh, none. I don't, I wouldn't want the sense of taste or smell. I've thought about it a lot, because people want to know that a lot, like, because they say, oh, man, I wish you could smell this, Eric. I wish you could taste this. I'd rather just keep the worldview that I have, because I, I don't, I just don't think that I can relate to taste in a way that would make me desire to have it. Really? Yeah. Does but that... if I could choose something to smell, I would choose myself, just so I can know if I'll smell you or not. Next time you eat something, just think about the texture of what you're eating and just the texture, really focus on it. And I think you'll find that it's a bigger part of your experience overall than maybe you thought. Wow. Talk about a whole new world. Will you ever eat food the same way again? But like Eric said, functional olfactory system or not, there's no reason to change yourself or wish you were different just to see the world the way everyone else thinks you should. Happy sensing, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, and happy Friday to you. Friday means it's the day we're going to be talking movies and a lot to talk about just because of the Oscar debacle. So uh, Jeff is going to lead us in a little discussion around that. He'll also be interviewing Rod Gustafson. He's going to take over the interview duties for me today. And if we have time, there's a new film that's out today that's locally here in Utah uh, called Tim Timmerman, Hope of America. Tim Timmerman. That I saw Wednesday night. Was it a good flick? I'm not going to spoil the surprise. Spoiler alert. So we'll get to all of that fun. Um, Also today, a, a bunch of empty news as well. Matt Townsend news. Full us. of substance. Full of substance. We'll visit with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. They are down in Vegas preparing, I believe, for Brigham Young University to face uh, Loyola Marymount. And it's an early game, so they're going to have plenty of time afterwards to not go to the casinos, I guess. Yeah, they don't go to the casinos anyway. Yeah. Maybe they'll go see – is is Siegfried and Roy still – are they <laughs> – I don't know. Maybe is, is it just Siegfried that's left? Yeah. After the mauling. But you can't just say that's left. I, yeah, I guess he's still alive. Yeah, I mean it's – I don't know if they're still doing their show. I'm sure Terry knows. Siegfried and Roy? I have no idea. Okay. Oh. Just checking. I thought you'd know that one. Um, you spend more time in Vegas than I do. <laughs> I do lately, don't I? Uh, we'll get to all that fun. But um, – and then, of course, the hero story. we got to get into the heroes just to give us all some hope for heaven's sakes. 
So much to cover. Um, First and foremost, though, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Following Attorney General Jeff Sessions' decision to recuse himself from any existing or future investigations of any matters related in any way to the campaigns for President of the United States, President Trump issued a statement where he called the situation a witch hunt. Jeff Sessions is an honest man. He did not say anything wrong. He could have stated his response more accurately, but it was clearly not intentional, Trump said. This whole narrative is a way of saving face for Democrats losing an election that everyone thought they were supposed to win. So this is all about the election. Oh, it? Okay, that's good. And, it's and about the president's that. Fine. The House could vote to repeal and replace Obamacare before the end of the month. Political reports, a person who attended a closed-door meeting with Senator Paul Ryan on Thursday, revealed that Ryan hopes to have the House vote on the replacement plan in three weeks. It isn't clear if the White House has backed Ryan's bill. There have been stories in the media that somehow the White House and Ryan's office are in agreement on health care, says Freedom Caucus member Representative Paul Labrador, L-A-B-R-A-D-O-R, I guess, close. Labrador, great dog. Labrador, he's from Idaho. He's a Republican. He questions the whole agreement. He doesn't know if the White House is even in on this, what this replacement is. I read yesterday that uh, on Sunday during the Oscar snafu that happened, uh, the governors of the United States met with the president, had a dinner with him. That's why President Trump wasn't tweeting or whatever about Mm. the Oscars. He was busy. He was hosting all the governors. The governors have a health plan of their own they're trying to push. Really? Let's get that out here. So there's multiple. The Freedom Caucus, yesterday in response to Rand Paul running around the House, or running around the Capitol trying to find this bill that's hidden somewhere, <laughs> the Freedom Caucus tweeted out their health care bill. So there's a Freedom Caucus bill. The governors have a bill. The we, l- the leaders of the gov- of the Republican Party have a bill. We have some audio in a minute about the bill. We Lots know where bills. the bill is, and we know where it's we know where it's going to we'll be. We'll check in on the yeah. bill. Moving on in California, they edge towards historic rainfall totals in one of the wettest winters in memory. Its neighbor across uh, state across the Pacific Ocean, Hawaii, has been hit with sustained blizzard conditions that have dumped eight inches of snow onto one of the mountain peaks. Now it's the tallest mountain probably on the entire island, but it had. Eight inches of snow. Wow. Sustained. Snow is unheard of, not unheard of, for the higher mountains of Hawaii, which are, uh, reach above 10,000 feet in elevation. But weather experts say the week, this week's storm was particularly strong and lingered over the state, mm. delivering a heavier-than-usual punch of snow. California is looking at potentially all-time record rainfall. State officials say you have to go back to the winter of 1982 and 83 to match the current snowpack in the state. Utah has 175% of snowpack levels. So this summer, when I'm watering my lawn, I can just turn it on and walk away? Well, actually, it. it may end up flooding the entire valley. Oh. So, yeah, you so may get, have other problems. Get your surfboard That's right. and a friend with a boat. <laughs> and finally, last week, the internet nearly tore itself asunder arguing about garfield's gender identity garfield the cat yes yes the lasagna loving monday hating garfield the literal cat fight started when writer virgil texas yes that's his name virgil texas pointed to a 2014 interview in which garfield creator jim davis said garfield is quote not really male or female because he's a cat and so the, the texas guy goes this is canon he huh? tweeted, uh, changing Garfield's gender from male to none on his Wikipedia page. Oh, brother. So his Wikipedia no, editing gets into oh, this. neutral. He just said, he's not really a boy or a girl. He's a cat. Doesn't mm, that just... Great catch. Causes more That's confusion, right? So then things got out of hand. The second Wikipedia starts getting edited, there's an issue there. Because then Wikipedia editors change Garfield's gender 20 times in less than three days. This is all according to the Washington <laughs> Post, by the way. 
Um, his religion also was briefly listed as Shiite Muslim, though that debate didn't pick up as much steam as the gender discussion did. Uh, according to the New York News, Daily, or New York Daily News, Wikipedia eventually had to lock the Garfield page because of so many edits. Wow. There's, there's like a default setting. That, Seriously. So I, Jim Davis himself finally set things straight, telling the Washington Post that Garfield is a boy. Aha. So settle down, people. So his next comic is going to have Garfield saying, today I'm identifying as a girl. Is uh, is Garfield still out there? Yeah, he's making he's in uh, comic strips and newspapers. Oh, he man. doesn't get around as much anymore though because of all the lasagna. Yeah, it he's seems put like on Garfield. How old is Garfield? He's an old cat. I mean, it's, maybe it's time. Maybe really go to the old cat's home. Yeah, go to that farm upstate. <laughs> yeah, just saying. Is it right to put a comic? Strip character out to pasture before his time? Sure. Okay. I'm just, you know. I mean, I'm glad we got the gender issue thing down. <laughs> Holy cow. Then we got to talk about his religion. This is the this is what happens when people are bored at work. Don't, they, they catch tiny little stories and blow them up into something big. Don't people know that there's bigger things going on like Russia? People don't want to deal with that. How about okay? They want you, nonsense. How about the the uh, healthcare bill? No, no, nobody cares. Everybody's wondering where the bill is, and mm. so we sent one of our reporters out. Oh, great! To find where the bill is, and here's a little audio from their their moment. I think the bill's in committee session right now. Okay. Listen to those congressmen arguing. Is all that discussion and debate about you? Yeah, I'm one of the lucky ones. Most bills never even get this far. I hope they decide to report on me favorably, otherwise I may die. Die? <laughs> yeah, die in committee. Oh, but it looks like I'm going to live. I love now I go to the House of Representatives and they vote on me. If they vote yes, what happens? Then I go to the Senate and the whole thing starts all See, over again. This process again. is oh, no. happening oh, so yes. quickly. It's a pretty neat process. I'm just a oh. bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. He's just making... He's making his way to Capitol Hill. Hmm. Could you imagine if bills could be turned into a law within three minutes and 20 seconds? Yeah. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, that's how long the cartoon last lasted, you know, right? So why not? With Donald Trump, I think it can happen. Except <laughs> except apparently the health care bill they're hiding away somewhere. Yes. It's Congress is just not wanting and to let no it out. And there's no word on if it's complete? Or what it consists of? Well, or... no, but they'll let everybody read it, right? They'll let they'll, no. they'll eventually let it out and let everybody read it for twenty it, minutes. It goes back to the um, the Obamacare. There's a quote from Nancy Pelosi that says, "We must pass the bill before we read the bill." Yeah, yeah. So, isn't it interesting that the thing that the Democrats did that the Republicans hate now the Republicans are doing so the Democrats can hate it? Right. Yeah. I think I think it's something that's connected to trying to do something with health care. Yeah. It's just you're not going to make everyone happy, so whoever's in power is just going to jam it on through. Which is why we celebrate Canadian Bacon today. Absolutely. Ham is great. It's easier to talk about Canadian Bacon Day than it is the health care bill. Well, yeah. I think we have more details about Canadian Bacon. And it seems to be easier for you to talk about Canadian Bacon than how much you appreciate employees. Hmm. I, uh, today's also Employee Appreciation Day. I just thank wanted you. to say, Terry, thank you so much for being such a great employee. Not of mine, but of BYU Broadcasting. 
You're a great coworker, a great See, guy. I, I reject the uh, compliment yeah. because it's not supposed to be from you. See, exactly. That's this why Dawn day, came in yeah. last hour to celebrate our boss. employees. It was wonderful. We could, though, celebrate. All of our producers are in there saying, celebrate but us. the problem is you do that. Yeah, You've just point. set precedent. That's right. And they get sort of this inflated sense of, like, appreciation, and you need to keep yeah. them you know, I've, tame. On I've learned one. with Palakiko that you cannot compliment him hmm. or he's going to need it every day. There you go. So, wait, you're, you're handing out your compliment to somebody who doesn't even want it and somebody who's over here who shall remain unnamed <laughs> until you name him uh, is practically begging for a compliment it's and sad. doesn't get one. Who's over there? I don't see anybody but you. It's kind of sad. It's like all the uh, members of Congress that rush in like super early for these uh, joint sessions or State of the Unions, and they try to line that hall, that that aisleway that the president comes down. Yeah, yeah. Because they want to be there to shake his hand, get on TV, one. get a selfie or something. And they get in there hours beforehand and save their seats and sit in there, and it's really kind of pathetic. It's interesting because when he comes to, in the door, on the right hand is are the Republicans, and on the left hand, I think, are the Democrats. Right. Is that right? Or maybe it's reverse. But uh, President Trump spent a lot of time on the Republican side. And yes, usually you want to kind of mix it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a little love right. from both sides of the party. Right. Jeff, let me just take a minute here. I didn't say it was Jeff, but I'll, I'll, I'll listen to what you have to say right now. Uh, on behalf of BYU Broadcasting, I'd like to thank you for your great work. Mm. For the things that you do and the things that you don't do that you should have done that don't ever get done. Uh, or, or the things that he doesn't do, and then if he did do them, yeah. he'd get arrested. So right. we appreciate him not doing exactly. them. Exactly. Or the things we've asked you to do, and yet you didn't do. Let's uh, backtrack and a bit and come again. rehash this. Just doing Appreciation Day. Okay. We're, we appreciate the things that you thought you did, that really mm. you didn't do kind of the way we thought you'd do them. We appreciate those. Hopefully you'll do them better next time. The little things that actually turn into big things and the big things that eventually turn to lawsuits. And those that turn into fire. And the crowd doesn't like your compliment, Matt. Anyway, we appreciate you. And we thank you for being an employee of this great institution. Now, turn off that music and... That? Uh, Have we coddled the... The ego and the I don't know. emotions of certain employees. Again, I never said it was me. In fact, no. I said it was he who shall not be named. So I, it could have been Voldemort for all we know. Um, yeah. Hey, I've got some good news I think that Terry will love. Mm. Authorities continue to search for a suspect and six Star Wars lightsabers oh, right. worth $1,800 that have apparently were stolen. These are like the real lightsabers, not like a pool noodle or something like that. Like a home. real lightsaber that could yeah. cut metal in half? Right. Well, wow. real meaning like their their handles made out of metal. Okay. Maybe like a movie prop. It, but it Something with some heft to it. Could it cut metal in oh, half? Absolutely. I mean, it's worth 1800 bucks. Yeah, better. Uh, the suspect forced entry into a victim's garage attached to a home, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department reported. It was unclear if the value described the lightsabers individually or for all six. The suspect and the stolen items were still outstanding as of last, as of yesterday morning. We're trying to locate the stolen items and monitoring if they were sold on eBay. But it seems like if these were the real lightsabers, this is a this is quite a commodity. This is like quite a coup. If you could somehow get your hand on a lightsaber, what couldn't you do? 
Wow. Um, there is one question I had about this story that wasn't really answered in it. Maybe what? maybe you knew something more beyond what we just read. Oh, okay. Let were me the, see if I can were, help you. were the kyber crystals intact? Come again. The the kyber crystals. Kyber kyber crystals. See, the way it works is the Jedi has to find a kyber crystal, and that's what powers the lightsaber that he builds. It's one of his first steps on the road to becoming a Jedi. And so, in this case, are the kyber crystals intact in the unit, or were they sold separately? They're very valuable. Are you done? In fact, the kyber crystals, if you saw the last Star Wars movie, they pirate... They, they Nerd power, alert! They powered that planet. Nerd. And the, the, the world-destroying weapon that they had. It was Seeking a kyber all nerds. It's a trap! No? Sorry. Kyber crystal. Yeah. They actually stole them from the Jedi Temple that is a key feature in the movie. Oh, the temple where they left all those tiny Jedis? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, no. This was a, in the last movie, not the... Okay. Nerd alert! So I just it's a detail of the story. Not really. It's actually a detail you injected in. Yeah. It's, it's uh, a question. It was, I didn't I, know, I, I know if they addressed that. I either. consider that a detail too far. Okay. It's, a detail that we part, didn't need detailed. It's part of the story. Well, anyway, um, there's lightsabers out there folks and kyber crystals are not part of looking it? for them $1800. Okay. It's kind of a bad thing. Sure. Um <laughs> A Florida man on a lawnmower was arrested on driving with a suspended license. Mm. you got to watch that. These are always my favorite, uh, <laughs> watching somebody try to do a getaway on a lawnmower. Florida man on a motorized lawnmower was arrested while driving on a suspended license after accusations that he ran a stop sign, struck a car, and mowed three lawns without permission. Mm. <laughs> without permission? Yeah. Is, that, is that a crime? That's a crime. In you Florida. mowed my lawn. You done mowed my lawn. <laughs> Uh, the lawnmower police, uh, apparently, they say he did crash in, into a vehicle. Oh, and well. the driver of a Dodge Charger uh, is the guy that he hit. He ran into a stop sign. He's been a busy man. Wow. This guy, um, David Dixon, 54, ran the stop sign on the lawnmower, struck a Charger. Uh, he then, uh, I guess he stole a bicycle. Oh, wow. That he returned, but he was stranded on the side of the road when the charger uh, struck his lawnmower. I, oh, I guess the charger hit his lawnmower. Oh, wow. That's got to be a downer. Yeah. You know what, though? We ought to be grateful that this guy wasn't doing the types of things with his lawnmower that Stephen King describes in one of his books. Yeah. We could. We at least have that. There's a bright to side go on. to every story, I guess. That's what's great. One of the goals of the show is to help you see the good. And that was part of the that was that was that was the part that none of you knew. But in this case, at it least could it's have not been that worse. bad. Yeah. yeah, it could have been yeah. a lot worse. Huh? Good insight. Um, <laughs> Dixon didn't know that you're not allowed to just drive a, a lawnmower. Really? It's not a it's not a car. Yeah. I mean, you need authorized vehicle. Yeah, you need you need is my, my question need. is lawnmowers are pretty slow when it comes to if you're going to travel a, a distance. It's going to take a yeah. while. Is there a way to transfer? Like turn off the blade and transfer that power. To oh, say soup the, it up! Oh, yeah. Because the there's lawnmower racing, right? Well, you could. Those are souped up, though. They put yeah. like you know car engines on. A I lawnmower. think what I learned is if you just take the chute off, mm. just, right? Mm. Just deshoot your lawnmower, and you're gonna you're gonna double the capacity. So more of a mulching se- yeah. setting, rather. Yeah, turn than... on the mulcher. Okay. Can you picture this guy going up to a drive-through and trying to order over the hum? Mm. What was that? 
What was that? I said huh? I want five cheeseburgers. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's hard. I always have to turn my mower off when I'm ordering. Right. But that's just courteous to, <laughs> yeah. the, to the business. You're you want to get through. You don't want to take a lot of yeah. time. Well, we wish him the best of luck. Uh, you know, it is illegal, I guess, to drive your lawnmower. I mean, you need signals. You need and – you, and you probably can't run into people, can't take out signs. Right. And you shouldn't mow someone's lawn unless they invite you to. There's some basic rules of decorum of the highway. Yeah, 101. Yeah. 101. I don't know how many more times we need to go over this, but that's why we're here. Up next, we're going to be talking movies with Rod Gustafson. And uh, I've asked Jeffrey to do that interview because I'm losing my voice. I'm losing – I have a cold and I have, I have a feeling that I'm about to come completely apart. So up next, Jeff Simpson, Simpson on the movies – Parent Previews is with us. Stick with us. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt just for this segment because he feels his voice is going. In fact, he actually just wanted to lay down and take a nap. We've got some cots in here, uh, mostly for uh, emergency purposes, but he'll be back. Don't worry. But his loss is my gain because I get to speak with Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com and also the Parent Previews podcast. I know Rod's going to be anxious to talk to us about that. And he's got a couple of new movies today that he uh, wants to talk to us about. Rod, are you there? I am here. Are you hearing me okay? Yes, you're coming in loud and clear. You know, in some ways, I'm kind of glad I'm not sharing the booth with you this morning because, you know, all those germs, they get in those little soundproof booths and, you know, it... Who knows? You're going to have maditis by Monday. (laughs) Hopefully not. He said he'd be here next (laughs) week, so we're going to hold him to that. All right. So what do we got today, Rod? All right, so a couple of films today, and it's a little, we're, we got a more serious week of movies today, the stuff that's coming out of the box office. So real quick, there's a film that you may have kids, this will be the film that they probably will most want to see, is a movie called Logan. And this, of course, is the latest X-Men movie, and it focuses on the Wolverine character. But here's what's different about this X-Men movie. It's rated R. No! No! Yeah, it is. And, you know, <laughs> Jeff, I'm disappointed about this because I I kind of I've enjoyed the X-Men franchise and I found that they could get more than enough violence and a few other things squeezed into a PG-13 rating. Um, I mean, just Mystique alone, she squeezes into a PG-13 rating. She's the, of course, the, the mutant who really doesn't wear anything. Right. Uh, but, you know, so now they're moving this into an R. And when I look at why it's an R... This is more than just about violence. First of all, there is a lot more violence. There's going to be a lot of blood and explicit tissue damage, as they say in the film ratings area. But there's also like over 80 profanities, and many of them are the sexual expletive. We know the word we're talking about. And uh, and there's some sexual content, nudity and whatnot in this movie, too. So really disappointing to see them move in this direction. And this is all, in my opinion, after dead after Deadpool last year made so much money, I think they're thinking, hey, this is the way to do this now. I think so, you're like, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So remember, you vote at the box office. You vote with your money. 
I am, I'm hoping this one comes off a disappointment because these are supposed to be superheroes and people that, you know, we know kids are going to watch these things. If they don't see it at the theater, they're going to watch it once it's available for home viewing. And so there you go. You know, that, so that's Logan. You know what my problem with that is? I think I, as an audience member, want to see continuity, especially involved uh, when there's a series involved. And so yes. when you're taking characters that... Uh, you know, aren't doing certain things and never say certain words, and all of a sudden they're doing all of those things, it's not, there's no continuity there. And I heard that. I absolutely agree. I think yeah. it's going to be very distracting, actually. Yeah. They, you know, I heard Patrick, Sir Patrick Stewart, try to justify it, basically saying that, you know, they're old and grizzled and where they would have composed themselves before, they're not going to do that anymore, and so they just say whatever they want. Yeah, and uh, no, sorry, Patrick, I don't <laughs> buy that. I'm old and grizzled, and uh, I still, in fact, I think I have better control of my tongue now maybe than I did when I was 20. Wow, interesting. Well, okay, so that's one you're not going to be reviewing today. Yes, yeah, sorry, not doing that one. But So let's move on. This is another one, uh, the movie called The Shack, and this film has already had a lot of buzz uh, in faith-based circles, uh, mainly because it's based on a novel I did not realize. I knew this novel was popular, but I didn't realize it has sold over 20 million copies. And uh, so this is a this has become a very popular book. And I think this movie may surprise uh, the industry at how well it does at the box office when you have that many uh, books floating around out there. So in a nutshell, what this movie is, this is a movie about a man. His name is Mac, and uh, he has a lovely family. And one day he takes his three kids out on a camping trip, and his little daughter is abducted. And a few days later, they find her clothing. It's covered in blood in a shack way deep up in the woods. And uh, and basically, he knows that, that she has died in this incident. So now, um, even though Mac, he goes to church every Sunday with his family, and he, he's had some problems. He is a, he's got a rough uh, childhood due to an abusive father. But now this incident has just totally thrown him off his rails. And he is convinced that God hates him. And he can't understand how a loving how a loving God could possibly do this to someone. So one day on a cold snowy day, a little note appears in his mailbox and it's inviting him to come back to the shack. And he's thinking, who would do a cruel joke like this? And the note is signed, Papa. Now, Papa is the pet name that his wife has always used to refer to God. So he is wondering, he's thinking this can't possibly from, be from God. He's wondering if it's the murderer setting him up. So he packs up a four by four with a gun, heads out into the wilderness to go to the shack. And guess what? He discovers this notice from God. Now, this is where this movie is creating controversy in many religious circles because um, God is not what you would expect to be. It's he or she is played by Octavia Spencer, and who does a wonderful job of the role. But this is where you have to look at this movie really as an allegory, because in the shack, he meets God and Jesus Christ, and he meets the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit as well. And 
so as you do this, when I went to this movie, I thought, mm, because, okay, I am, I am very religious and I have my own beliefs of what these, what these people would be. And I thought, this is going to be a difficult thing to overcome. But then Narnia came into my mind where we have Aslan the lion and we have many, many times in literature and film where we have had references to deity that are portrayed through allegory. And uh, if you can approach this movie this way, what Mac goes through in the second half of this film is just an incredible story of learning to drop your baggage and learning about forgiveness and learning about redemption. And uh, I think for people, obviously, if you don't believe in God, this movie probably won't work for you. But if you do have some spiritual foundation underneath you, this is an incredibly personal and moving movie. And, and I was really quite impressed with it. A very well done film with A-list actors in it. And uh, it, it's quite an involving movie. So that's The Shack. And, you know, Matt is going to be a little disappointed because he thought that movie was going to be about Mr. Shaquille O'Neal. So uh, he <laughs> might not be seeing no that. Basketballs. So I think we've got a few minutes left for the other movie that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. So the other movie, I was quite surprised. This is a film called Before I Fall. This is a teen movie. And uh, it's really Groundhog Day meets Mean Girls, if you remember either or both of those two movies. But it has something in common with The Shack, surprisingly. Uh, the movie opens up and we meet this little rich girl who, it has, who hangs out in her little clique with other little rich girls. They're all in high school. And, uh, but what happens is she goes through this day where her, her little group of girls is busy bullying another girl and they're worried about guys and, and they go to this party late at night. They go to this house party and then on the way home, they wind up in a car accident. This girl dies, but then she wakes up the next morning and it's the exact same day all over again. And it's the same thing again and again. Lather, rinse, repeat. So, of course, very in very similar fashion to Groundhog Day, she goes through, well, I don't have anything to lose anyhow, so she goes through some really rebellious days. But then towards the end, she starts recognizing that she can make a difference. And, and this is really a film about bullying. And she starts wondering, why do we bully this other girl and these other people? Why do we have these very bad things to say about so many things in our lives? And she starts leading her friends to a better place by demonstrating love and compassion and empathy towards them. I was surprised. The film, I didn't think I was going to like this very much, but by the end, it really does have some positive things to say, even though there is some content in here. There's a scene of sexuality between teenagers. There's scenes of teenagers drinking and doing bad things, but it is there to try and teach this lesson. Parents, if your kids are interested in seeing Before I Fall, I would really suggest you try and see it with them so you can talk to them about it because I think this movie could be a good learning uh, experience and create some great after-movie discussion. Or they could just go rewatch Groundhog Day. Groundhog, or they could go rewatch yeah. Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day was <laughs> able to, to have those same types of themes, but it was a PG movie and it didn't really go in into, go into any too dark or you know, to uh, rebellious territory. 
Yes, yes. And you're right about that. It does have that benefit. Uh, uh, as opposed to many other teen movies where we see those content issues with absolutely no consequences. And in fact, they're even portrayed as fun in this movie. They're portrayed as being things that you really need to change in your life. So that part of it, I had to give it credit for. Well, Rod, we appreciate you. We always enjoy talking movies with you. And uh, yeah, if you do see Logan, let me know what you think. It sounds like yeah, you're it, probably not going to go see it, though. <laughs> yeah, probably not. You know what? I Even though I get to go see movies for free, uh, no, I don't think so. I think we already know enough about it that uh, we're just going to move forward from there. But I, I hope that this is not going to be a trend. I hope all the X-Men movies aren't moving into R-rated territory. I'll be very disappointed if they do. I hope you're right, too. Thanks, Rod. We'll talk to you next week, and have a good weekend. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Matt and I, he's going to wake up from his nap. We're going to be speaking the 10 greatest Oscar moments of all time. And maybe if we've got time, we'll do a quick review of another movie that came out that uh, Rod would not have been able to see because it's local here to Utah. We'll take a break. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, we wanted to take a few minutes to talk about the most memorable Oscar moments in history because we just had one that may very well have jumped to the top of the list. Just the wrong call for the wrong movie. That is right. And you, of course, are talking about the flub that uh, was made by PricewaterhouseCooper <laughs> and uh, allowing Warren, Warren Beatty and uh, I almost—I always want to say Annette Benning and Dunaway. Faye Dunaway yeah. to announce... The wrong Best Picture winner, which it was supposed to be Moonlight, and they said La La Land. So there was a lot of controversy and and talk over why they didn't get out there soon enough and whose fault it was exactly. But that, by far, is the craziest, most memorable Oscar moment that we're ever going to have. You think that's number one? That's number one for sure. So, you know, we're going to spoil it and do number one first. Yeah, good. But over the years, there have been some other crazy events, like in 1969 when Barbara Streisand and Katherine Hepburn tied for Best Actress. What did they do there? Jump off. The the only time that's ever happened for an actor. Do they give two awards? Yeah. Perfect. But Katherine Hepburn wasn't even there, so Barbara Streisand got the spotlight all for herself. Oh, man. So, 1973, do you remember this one? Where Marlon Brando refused his Oscar, and he he sent a Native American woman up there to refuse it on his behalf Mm. because of the way that American Indians are portrayed in film. There you go. And that drew some boos from the audience. Did it really? Oh, yeah. So she got to refuse Marlon Brando's Oscar from James Bond. So that was memorable. Uh, 1974, the very next year, you said you remembered the streaker that came out during on. uh, I was a very impressionable child. (laughs) What year was that? 1974. Yeah, I was five. David Niven was the host, and he—I I wasn't watching it, but I remember seeing it over sure. and over and over. David Niven had a very spot-on joke, just that he came up with right on the spot that we probably shouldn't say on the air, but yeah. it was funny. That's good. 1985, 
This is the famous speech that Sally Field gave when she won her second Oscar. Yeah. And everybody always misquotes her. They think that she says, you like me, you really like me. But she says that when she won the first time, she thought people didn't like her. And now she says, I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's that. I, I Which mean, is I an interesting thing moment. to say. Yeah. Because obviously they like you, right? You They're giving you the an award. award. 1992. This one was uh, filled with controversy because Marissa Tomei won Best Supporting Actor for the film My Cousin Vinny. This is the film that people said, or this is the instance when people said that Jack Palance, who had won Best Supporting Actor the previous year for City Slickers, right. incorrectly named her as the winner. Oh. So it's kind of seems like it would go, uh, go along with what happened just yeah. the other night. But she actually did win. Oh. It was just because the people that she was up against were such veteran actresses that they thought there's no way that win? she could have won. And but Jack she did. Palance is the guy that came out and did push-ups. Is, he, is this That's not right. on your list? No. That was but a magic It goes along moment. with this because it, they, they, yeah. they're, they ride in Little tandem. Hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, 1999, Roberto Benigni wins Best Actor and he's climbing up on his seats and gets up there and says that he wants to kiss everyone. And <laughs> just a very impassioned speech when he won for Life is Beautiful. Right. 2003, speaking of kisses, Adrian Brody wins Best Actor for The Piano, comes up, and the presenter is Halle Berry, grabs her by the face, and plants one on her. Oh, yeah. That was awkward. She was shocked, but a great moment for him, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He did great there. 2014, we're skipping ahead here a little bit, Ellen took a selfie with the couple of front rows. Huge, yeah. And it was retweeted so many times that it crashed it Twitter. Twitter. It totally crashed Twitter. Ah, those were the days, huh? Same year, John Travolta is introducing Adina Menzel <laughs> to sing her song Let It Go from yeah. the film Frozen, yeah. and he calls her Adele Dazeem. <laughs> That so, was great. And then that's what sparked everybody trying to come up with their John Travolta new name. Right. Yeah. And I think she, next the year after that, called him Glorm Goodell <laughs> or something like that. That's great. Uh, and then, of course, this last, this year with Moonlight winning Best Picture, but the and, whole and, PwC yeah. fiasco. Yeah. And now they're never going to be invited back to the Oscars. No. We've PwC learned. will, but not those two accountants. Right. Back of the line with you. Well, well done, Jeffrey. That's good. That's a lot of memorable moments. Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. They are down in Vegas getting ready for BYU's big game against uh, Loyola. Stick with us, folks. Another memorable moment coming up. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Let's go to Vegas, my friends. Spencer and Jerem are standing by, ready to... uh, They're already taking in Vegas, as only those two can. Today, we're going to find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. How is Vegas? It's warmer than Utah. Isn't it nice? Oh, dude, it's fabulous. Uh, inside mostly, though, let's be honest. How are the Osmonds? Um, not, haven't seen the Osmonds yet. Potentially, still Mormon. Potentially, uh, I don't know, Saturday night? Yeah, you ought to check that out. After BYU beats LMU, right? Yeah. No, you guys have been there a long time for a game that doesn't start till Saturday. Now, now, the women play today. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. The women are playing. At roughly 
3.30, no, 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 5.30 Eastern. Okay. Uh, it's scheduled for 5 Eastern. Yeah. But it'll really tip off at about 5.30 Eastern. So, so what have you really been doing? <laughs> what have you been doing all day? Broadcasting games. Yep. Yesterday there were four games. And four games on BYU TV. Why were you not watching that? Um, I was, I was working. No, you have no excuse. I was working. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I was working. Can a guy not work? Um, so you're just broadcasting your little heads off. Absolutely. There's, yeah, and and there's a crew of you know twenty to thirty people here that are putting in a lot of time. This this is one of the most challenging, fun, rewarding experiences of the year for BYU TV Sports. It's cool. It's awesome. We do four games, two days in a row. Yeah, twelve games overall in a four-day span. Plus BYU Sports Nation. So there are people up at six thirty working there, the, all the way until like ten thirty at night. Holy crazy. cow, that's. It was so, time we worked, I know. You guys don't, you don't get a break. Not down here. What? Uh, Not much. No, it's all good. Hey, we, we came to work and to party. Mm-hmm. You know that. Yeah. I think it's just more work. Because I've seen you guys party, and it ain't pretty. And it's not yeah. even, I mean, it usually party with you guys just means a pizza and... Caffeine-free Mountain Dew. It gets <laughs> yeah. crazy. I mean, nuts. And then you stay up till maybe 9.50, 10? Yeah, cliff bars and... Uh, well, the last game starts at like 8.30. Holy cow. So it doesn't end until about 10.30. Has it been good basketball? Um, yesterday was okay. Today, yeah. it, it gets progressively better sure. because... You have the opening rounds and the quarterfinals, whatnot. So today will get better. The BYU women play San Diego, uh, and BYU won both those matchups by exactly 18 points. Yes. Mm. The regular season. We'll have men's opening round games tonight. So 7 10 and 8 9 seed matchups. What? And then, uh, of course, Saturday will be the quarterfinals for the men, and semifinal Monday and championship Tuesday. What do you, what do you think about Loyola versus BYU? Any predictions? I think it will be a close game, and I think BYU will win. Well, there, that's but succinct. People are like, oh, no, they just beat Gonzaga. They're going to win by 30. Yeah. yeah. They had to come back from 18 down on the road in L.A. to beat LMU in a very early conference game. So this is a neutral uh, site. And BYU won by single digits on their home floor at the Marriott Center. So I, this is a kind of a weird matchup for BYU. Hmm. It could be it's exciting. matchups. It's, you know what? That's what uh, I was doing our socks uh, laundry yesterday, doing our socks, and it is all about matchups. Yeah, right. Uh, missing a lot of them. <laughs> hey, um, talk to me about uh, your show today. What are you covering? Because oh, there's so see. much to cover. Well, of course, being live from the Orleans Arena would suggest that we are going to talk heavily about basketball. But it's a Friday, and we're going to have some fun with the predictable versus the unpredictable. We have seen some trends in the West Coast Conference that have become Awfully predictable, like painfully predictable. <laughs> Namely, Gonzaga winning this tournament every stinking year. Right, okay? come on. It's called the Gonzaga Invitational, presented by the West Coast Conference. It pretty much should be. Sad. I yeah. know. Okay, so, but so that, what's predictable and then what's unpredictable? But then what makes sports amazing and fun and crazy are the unpredictable things. So we're focusing our Twitter topic today on what's the most unpredictable thing about BYU basketball at the West Coast Conference Tournament. Hmm. Does yeah. it involve a casino? Mm. Royale. Ooh. No. Okay. No. no. 
Good, 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 because that's we don't want that. How about um, so you're going to cover the predictable versus unpredictable. Uh, I'm sure you'll have um, president coach on. Oh, yeah. Well, the president coach will be broadcasting uh, a couple of games tonight. The men's quarterfinal play in. Okay. Uh, competition. Um, we'll and have then the commissioner on. We have the West Coast Conference, Conference. Commissioner, Lynn yeah. Holtzman. Sweet. Be on. Will uh, join us. Kristen Kozlowski, one of our analysts. She'll break down the women's game coming up. Plus yeah. Steve Kafusi, live from uh, football practice. He'll talk about the switch. He is not coaching the defensive line anymore. Wow. He's coaching the linebacker. And which son about. does he love more, Bronson <laughs> or Corbin? Or Devin on his mission. We'll we'll ask him or or not. Do you think he'll answer it? Because I think no. he'd be in big trouble. <laughs> he might have some fun with it, though. Yeah, absolutely. Well, goodness, that sounds like a great. Uh, it sounds like a great show. Of course, locked and loaded. Uh, ready. I just wanted to make sure you're getting your sleep. Your wife uh, called me, Spencer. She wanted me to make sure you're taking your pills, your vitamins and stuff. Okay. Well, you can tell her that I slept the entire night in my suit last night. Why? I didn't even. I didn't even take my tie off. I was so tired. <laughs> I was so tired when I got back to my room. I sat. I called my dad to say hi for a second. Sat down on my bed. Said goodbye to him and thought, you know, I should probably get up and get ready for bed. Bang! Six fourteen in the morning. Next thing I know. But what's face great? Down, face down on my pillow. Saved you morning. It, it, you didn't have to get dressed. <laughs> well. No, yeah, my suit was not in good shape when I woke I up this morning. Yeah, Spencer's problem is not waking up without clothes. It's waking up with too many clothes. <laughs> this guy had a parka on. He had his snow boots. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. I, dude, wow. being, a, being a parent of a young child has Vegas. has really taught me how to, to sleep whenever, wherever, yeah, sure. however. Oh, Well, that's embarrassing, cow. though. I mean— and you weren't. I mean, that happens in Vegas all the time that people fall asleep in their clothes. <laughs> in their suits. <laughs> Never to a sober person. Come on, that's great news. And Jerem, did you sleep like a baby? Uh, after about an hour of coughing, yeah. Oh yeah. See, I think I'm picking up your cold. Oh man. I think I used your same microphone. Transmission through the microphone. Well, I haven't used that for three years, so yeah. No, I've been using every mic in the building. Well, that's on you. It's kind of it's kind of creepy, but I just do it. Hey, all right, guys, sounds like a great show. Knock them dead. Uh, Make sure you make sure you hang your suit up, Spence. I will do that. Yeah, and if you ask anybody in my family, you know, particularly my wife or my close friends, they'll tell you that's not a surprise. This happens all the time. Okay, well, I'll 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 fill her in and make sure that she knows. Okay, you're just the same old guy. Taking my vitamins. Keep keep taking them. You too, Jeremy. You need uh, you need some vitamin C in you. I can tell. You guys are great. My emergency. Your emergency. Have a good show. Knock them dead. Folks, that's in just about five and a half minutes. Five and a half minutes. You can get right into all of the sports goodness you'd ever want to have. Hey, uh, if you like taking selfies, I may— Not really. I, you don't like them? No. Somebody told me yesterday, hey, because I was doing a speech last night, hey, you need to take a picture of yourself at this speech, and then we'll, that way we can show it on Instagram. And I'm like, Ugh. anyway, I didn't do it. But uh, if you like taking selfies, I may have your hero. Long before they were called selfies, Carl Baden snapped a simple black and white photo of himself. Then he repeated the process every day, and he has now done it for three decades. Wow. 30 years of selfies. 
Baden's Everyday Project officially turns 30 on Thursday, and he says he has no intention of stopping. The stark contemplation on mortality and aging has prompted some to dub the Boston College professor the unwitting father of the selfie. The 64-year-old Cambridge resident grumbles at comparisons to the pouty face, self-congratulatory portraits that now fill Instagram and Facebook, but he recognizes the ubiquity of the selfie and how it has helped raise the profile of his project, which has been exhibited in art galleries in Boston, New York, and elsewhere over the years. It wasn't for the selfie craze. If it wasn't for the selfie craze, I'd probably be slogging along in anonymity, he said. Um, you know, the the reality is 30 years of doing anything is pretty amazing. But 30 years of taking a picture of yourself, that's pretty powerful. I know what you mean. I've been alive for just over 30 years. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing considering the types of projects that I've tried to take on. No, yeah, considering how many times just you could have been electrocuted to death. Just that. I think I'm supposed to still be here and hopefully not to just take pictures of myself. Maybe you ought to start taking pictures. Or maybe what you ought to do next time, next time you're like installing some electrical feature, have your daughter roll the camera while you do it. Then at least you could get some notoriety. So my death would, would be documented, not just burned in her mind for the rest of her life, but yeah. burned on a camera for the rest of every, or for everybody. To and see. I promise if, if you did that, I would talk about it. I'd show it. I'd put it on my Facebook page. Maybe then you would finally appreciate me <laughs> as an employee. I do. This is a employee appreciation day, and I have had nothing but appreciation for you today. 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 Hmm. Uh, by the way, this guy, he, he, he took a picture 30 years ago, and he, he's tried to remain faithful to that picture. So he sets up the tripod, poses the exact same neutral facial expression. So you can just pick up his aging process. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I'm going to see if we can't find the link and put it up on at Dr. Matt Show so you can go check it out. You know what would be really cool is if he aged what? backwards because then we'd get to see that process backwards. Well, you could do that. You could probably do that, right? <laughs> You just reverse the tape. Uh, anyway, um, it's Friday, folks, and this is the last hero story of the day. Um, hero, Our hero is Irish scouts rescue their leader after he suffered a fractured ankle on a 3,000-meter glacier. Check this out. Two venture scouts who rescued their leader after he slipped and fell on a glacier have now been praised for their cool heads in a special ceremony by Scouting Ireland. Brian McGrath, Sean Hoban from Ireland were climbing in the Austrian Alps with their leader Mick McGrath last summer when an adult suffered a fractured ankle. The quick-thinking teenagers were forced to take control of the situation, with one staying with Mr. McGrath while the second traversed the glacier, descended a cliff face to get a phone to get to phone reception. When McGrath hurt his ankle and could not continue, Brian and Sean put in their survival skills and put them to use. Uh, the boys strapped up and applied ice to Mick's ankle. Decided that Brian would go for help with Sean staying with the injured McGrath. Brian made the two-hour trek to find help while, uh, while Mick and Sean built a shelter, put on extra layers of clothing, prepared a marker in case of aerial assistance. Brian made his way to a rescue team and then later dispatched a helicopter that was able to uh, reach the site later that day and lift the injured leader to the hospital. See, I've always feared... That if I went out with the scouts, I don't know what I'm doing. They don't know what they're doing. In the end, we would all die. But this brings some hope, right? Some hope that there are heroes out there. They come in all shapes and sizes, all ages. And uh, again, you don't have to be a scout to be a hero. The best heroes really are just 
the people you care about and being there for those that you care about. That's the show, my friends. Have a great weekend. Make it a great one by uh, by paying attention to the people that matter to you. Try this weekend to reach out, do something different to, to lift one another, to lift mankind. We'll be back again Monday with more ideas, more information to help you live, lover, live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. Until Monday, make it a great one. We'll talk Monday.